0: And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. This episode is sponsored by 5.11 Tactical, a company that I've used for around 14 years now and continue to use to this day. And they are offering you, the audience, a 15% discount, not on one purchase, but continuously. And I'll give you that code in just a moment. But I want to do a product showcase on their new Atlas sneakers and boots. So I'm a big believer in the fact that footwear can either improve our health or break down our health. And the Atlas sneaker actually has a new foam system that disperses the body weight, whether just the body weight, whether it's a a vest and a gun, whether it's EMS bags being carried. And on top of that, they're lightweight, despite having the same protection that's required in the tactical space. So I have a pair of Atlas sneakers myself, and I can attest they're extremely comfortable. On top of footwear, of course, 5.11 offers a gamut of uniforms and equipment, whether it's plate carriers, backpacks, flashlights, you name it, they have it. All you have to do is go to 5.11tactical.com and use the code SHIELD15. That's S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5 at 5.11tactical.com, and you will save every time you purchase. And to learn more about the company 5.11 Tactical, you can listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO, Francisco Morales. This episode is brought to you by GovX, and as you know, I only have companies on here that I truly use and believe in myself. And GovX is a complete no-brainer. If you are a member of fire, police, EMS, corrections, military, and even hospital-setting doctors and nurses... You qualify for the free membership to GovX, which marries us with discounts from so many companies that you probably already use. And on top of that, it's not just for active duty, but also retirees, veterans, and volunteers. So for our professions, having to purchase so much of our equipment, every single dollar counts. And understanding that GovX has reached out to you, the Behind the Shield podcast audience, to offer you an additional saving. On your first purchase of $50 or more, if you use the code SHIELD, S-H-I-E-L-D, they will give you an additional $15 off your first purchase. And another layer of GovX is GovX gives back. Every month they're going to sell a different patch and the proceeds from that patch goes to a charity that supports either first responders or military. So as I mentioned before, go to govx.com, G-O-V-X.com, register for your free membership, and save every single time you purchase. Welcome to episode 407 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Al Benjamin. Now, Al is a veteran of FDNY and somewhat of a legend as well, working initially in the engine company in Williamsburg and then ultimately spending many, many years on Rescue 1 retiring with 35 years on the job. So we started this conversation, I was actually in a hotel and an hour and a half into it, I felt like we barely scratched the surface. So we actually reconvened when I got back and did another hour and a half. So <laughs> this is a longer interview, but again, when you sit down with someone with so much knowledge and experience, you don't want to rush it. So before we get to that conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating helps elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to everyone else who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Al Benjamin. Enjoy. Well, Al, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Behind the Shield podcast today.
1: It's not a problem. When you talk fires, you talk me. Absolutely.
0: Beautiful. So where on planet Earth are we finding you today?
1: I'm at home uh, relaxing
0: Fantastic. All right, so I like to walk people chronologically, so that seems to be the best way of kind of getting, getting the story out there. So starting at the very beginning, tell me where you were born and then what your family dynamic was like, what your parents did, and how many siblings.
1: Well, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I have a large family of uh, 11 siblings. I'm in the middle. I have uh, two sisters older than me. And I have two brothers older than, you know, my father passed away early in life. My mother raised us. And, um, now I understand a lot more of the things she was saying and doing for us, but I think she did a, a very good job. You know, she worked hard to, you know, to get us where we are today. And she always pushed education.
0: So she raised 11 kids on her own.
1: Pretty much, yes.
0: That's incredible. Now, as you see with a lot of these these larger families, especially when one parent is lost, did some of the older siblings also kind of form some of the parental roles as well?
1: Oh, without a doubt. We were uh, a close family, very close family. We did uh, everything together, even, you know, go to the park, uh, basketball, handball, you know. And I called it. Uh, you know, we definitely help one another.
0: Brilliant! It was funny when when we talked the other day. Um, I mentioned I came from a large family, and then you told me that mine wasn't large because <laughs> I'm one of five. <laughs> 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 so, well, you, you talked about um, you know playing sports with each other. What were some of the sports that you loved when you were school age?
1: Oh well, I, I actually played high school uh, junior varsity basketball um, for my high school. Um, we played handball. We pretty much played all sports, but I, I kind of leaned towards basketball and, you know, a few of my brothers, um, was the same. So it was like three of us, one of my older brothers and myself and one of my younger brothers. He was very good.
0: Now, one I think one of the most interesting things to me of your early story was the um, the Vulcan Society. So I've had some people on here that do a you know, very similar thing. They mentor in their communities. I've had um, one firefighter who grew up in a very, very poor area in Orlando, um, Went ended up going to college and then came back and became a firefighter and now serves that same community that he grew up in. So tell me about the impact of that society and, and the fire services you as a child
1: when i was younger um the neighborhood i grew up in was you know pretty rough we had uh lots of fires in the neighborhood you know for different reasons and um there was a fire company um not too far from my house and what they used to do in the summer they used to give picnics for the children in the neighborhoods. And um, you didn't have to bring anything but yourself. You know, they supplied all the food, uh, transportation, buses, and everything. At the time, you know, I was a kid and they were younger firemen at the time. And this is the things they do, they did. And um, I just observed that and that kind of gave me an interest in the fire pump that somebody cared you know so much to do that you know for the neighborhood
0: yeah I think I think it's just incredibly powerful I know when they talk about policing with some of the issues that you know we've seen especially the last year um, it seems like the the agencies that are doing it well whether it's fire whether it's police are the ones that go into the community and, and mentor the kids I've got a friend Chris Hickman that lives in Ocala here that started an incredible mentoring program that again same same as you just said you just have to show up they'll give you fire gear they'll put you through p t you'll do you know all these this fire trainings and then there's even scholarships available at the end to go to fire school so w- through your career i mean obviously we're going to go back and revisit your early life but through your career you know w- where have you seen that kind of mentoring have an impact um once you became a firefighter too well i i
1: when i first became a firefighter on the, I worked in Williamsburg and I pretty much passed on what was passed and given to me, you know, so I pretty much almost always kept the door up, you know, when it was feasible, um, you know, weather-wise. And I had a relationship with the people in the neighborhood, the children, you know, he used to come and talk, you know, and you know, ask questions, you know, which which I thought was very interesting. Because um coming up, like say as a firefighter, I learned uh something that um giving back, and that's what those firefighters when I was a kid, that's what they were doing. But at the time, I didn't really know what the term was. You know, I think that's Very important, giving back, you know, to the neighborhood, uh, to whomever really needs it, that you can help, you know, uh, in any way that you can.
0: Absolutely. Well, I I think something that really resonates with me is you think of all the young men and women, and, I, you know, obviously you've seen them in your career, I've seen them in my career, that found themselves down a negative path, whether it was addiction, crime, whatever it was. And you ask yourself if if that person had had, you know, an Al Benjamin in their life, they had a mentor that showed them that they cared, that showed them that it was possible to be a firefighter in New York or, you know, Orlando or a police officer in Miami or wherever, that their life could have been different. They could have been an exceptional, you know, police officer, firefighter. So, you know, I don't think you can understate the power of, as you said, giving back and of being present in the community that you serve or the community that you live in.
1: Well, you know what they, um, they look at, um, even though, you know, whatever the neighborhoods, they look at like positive sources or people, you know, to see me, you know, and I, I weighed like 143 pounds and I was like 26 years old. So I looked like a kid and they used to come to me and say, you know, the kids in the neighborhood said, "How, how old do you have to be a fireman? You know, what I mean, because they thought I was like, you know, a real young kid, you know, so and that's how they start the questions. And then you get them into talking, you know, about other things. They'll ask about the boots, the hoses, you know, you know, the helmets and, you know, you'll get them into talking about it and that'll get an interest in them. You know, the smallest things will get them interested.
0: Absolutely. Well, with yourself when you were younger, obviously you were exposed to to these firefighters that you were being, you know, brought into into their groups. Um at what age did you decide that you wanted to become, become a firefighter yourself?
1: Well, I I I I didn't. What I what I was uh what I was taught was um take tests, uh, become a civil servant, right? So I was actually on the police, um, the correction, and the fire department list at the same time. you know. And that's, so I had a choice. And I, um, and if you hear me speak anywhere, at the time I wasn't like a gun person. So that kind of steered me towards the fire department, you know. So that was one thing. And, you know, I just started I started taking classes, and some of the classes were taught by firefighters, you know, that was on the job. And like I said, at the time, they were young guys, you know what I mean? So you're kind of interested when you see a young guy, you know, with a great career or, you know, explaining, you know, the job and stuff to you. So um I, I can't really say what age, but I know when I got old enough and I got on a list and I got called, I was ecstatic.
0: Now you, you I, s- when I go ahead. I'm sorry, i just just to, what just to kinda attack of on to something you said. So you said that you weren't a gun person. Was that because something had happened when you were younger that turned you off guns or you just hadn't been exposed to them and didn't feel comfortable with them?
1: No, I just, uh, it just wasn't an interest, you know, to me. And, you know, I guess probably just the way I was raised, you know, by my mother, you know, our education was more a figure than, you know, any, any of the other things, you know, that was her thing. Her thing was education, get an education. You can do whatever you want. You know what I mean? In life you need an education because my mother wasn't really educated, but she knew that was one of the keys to doing things that you wanted to do in life. So she really pushed that.
0: Well, she sounded like she's an incredible woman.
1: Oh, my friend called me the other day and said, You know what? Your mother was awesome, you know. Yeah. Cause she kinda she kinda raised a lot of people in the neighborhood along with us, you know
0: incredible so then so you you're on the civil service list. obviously you, you've you've got your feelers out for all the different professions so tell me about when you actually got the uh got the offer and what your initial kind of training and probation
1: was like uh it was all well you know what i i, I got the opportunity to um to the fire department you know i went through the whole process you know and um when I went to the academy, it was like amazing for me. It was so amazing because I, I'm a person that like to learn and, and do things. And, you know, I just keep going on and on. When I was in there, it was like the ultimate for me in the academy. I didn't want to do anything wrong where I, I, you know, couldn't stay in that academy. Even one time, I didn't have a car, but I carpooled with a friend of mine's. One time, he didn't show up at the time he was supposed to so we could get there on time. I didn't wait for him. I just went, I jumped on, I took two trains, boom, and I shot to the academy and I walked in there and I got there on time. You know, I didn't want to be late or anything because it was an opportunity to me of a lifetime.
0: And what, what about the, the sports that you played, obviously the handball, the basketball? How prepared did you feel physically when you got to the academy?
1: Oh, at that time, I was in really good shape. Like I said, I only weighed 143 pounds, you know, and I'm, I'm 5'11", you know. So I was in great shape. Physically, I was in great shape. Mentally, I was in shape because I, 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 I got that hunger to learn. And one thing I always say um, is you can learn anything you want, but the key thing is you got to be open to learn.
0: I agree 100%. Now, with with you going through the training then, and obviously you still being aware of what goes on in the rock today, what are some of the key things that you notice are different from when you went through to, to now, positive or negative?
1: Well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really know a lot about the academy now, just, you know, what I hear and I talk to guys. But back then, you know, guys help one another. You know, and um, they wanted—they didn't want anybody to fail. You know, so um, even at that time, you know, I did what I I could, you know, to help guys and bring them along, or to help me and brought me along. You know, because some guys, um, when you do the fittings, you know, which is uh, you know connected to the hydrant and everything, I didn't know a lot about that, but some guys were plumbers on the side before they got there and they knew that stuff. So they would pass it on to you and help you pick it up and understand it, you know? Um, a lot of things change, you know, from what I hear from guys in the academy now, you know, cause it's a totally different generation now, you know? And, um, you know, each generation look at some things differently, you know? I I looked at it as I got an opportunity of a lifetime, you know, to do something that I wanted to do and something that I really all my life right now um, enjoy doing.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, I think that's that's what's needed now. You know, I think that there's, there's a lot of people focusing on on the negative, you know, and, we, and there are so many beautiful people out there, so many tight knit communities and yeah you know, that that selfishness I think is sadly what gets a lot of the attention that we see on on the news but just like you said I had a similar experience in my fire academy that was only 17 years ago but yeah that we were all all you know walks of life all colors and creeds and there were a couple that you know just didn't have that desire just as you mentioned you know to to truly want to be a firefighter but the rest of us helped each other You know, we all had strengths and weaknesses, and it was awesome. And and pretty much that entire group graduated at the end. So I think that's a huge takeaway from your experience.
1: Well, I have a saying that I use for myself is that um, when you were talking about, you know, all different walks of life, race, creed, and that, right? My thing is that um, the fire department, to me, is a world. Within our world, uh, I say the only difference that I see is in a fire department, we make it work. If you understand what I'm saying, yes, you know, because we come from all walks of life, all cre but we make it work.
0: No firehouse is. a group of best friends you know there are personalities that that bang heads with each other but like you said we understand the mission and the mission is to, to help those you know the people that need the help and and to me there's no better illustration of the ridiculousness of not being part of a team whatever your background whatever your beliefs is throw your gear on and go into a fire okay point to me the the catholic the black guy the gay woman you know i mean you just you're a bunch of firefighters but what you can tell is the bad firefighter and the good firefighter. And that's it. That's the only prejudice that I think should exist in the fire service is the ones that can and the ones that can't.
1: Well, I always say, <laughs> this is funny, I always said there's a position for everybody in the fire department, right? If you don't want to go fight fires, they do have, you know, headquarters. They do have the fire academy. So there's places, you know, for you. The thing is, you have to know your place. Absolutely. Yeah. You could be a firefighter and you know, you don't want to fight fires. There's a lot of different avenues in the fire department. But they call they don't call it firefighter for nothing. (laughs) You know?
0: Yeah. Well it's funny because in you know the other thing I think is is hilarious, but in in Florida I think a lot of states they call our training at the academy minimum standards. So it's labeled right there for you. Like that's the the worst you should ever be in your career is the day you step out of the academy. Not you haven't peaked physically, you know, you should be that's the key to the lock. And then you have the rest of your career to improve on the tools that they've given you.
1: Right. Well the academy is just to me and and the basics. You know, they're teaching your basics because it you know, back when I started, you know, you learn the basic in the um in the fire academy. And when you went into walked into the firehouses, okay, now you're gonna learn the job. You know, because you at you know, academy they teach you like one, two, three. But when you get out there, it may be three, two, one, <laughs> you know. <laughs> when you go to a fire, it's you know, there's there's things that weren't written you know what i mean like even you know um you know certain firehouses and you know you make a tool that fits the neighborhood that you work in you know you don't learn that stuff in the fire academy you know
0: were you surprised because i certainly was that when you got out into the real world and actually were riding a, a rig How much organized chaos (laughs) Fireground actually was because it's so orchestrated and rehearsed in, you know, in, in the academy, obviously. But I was blown away at just how, you know, I mean, these were all skilled people, but you know, people were tripping over and slipping. And, you know, I I remember trying to pull a fence, um, down because there was a car on fire the other side of the fence and the the gate was locked and ended up with the fence on top of me on my back. (laughs) So, But,
1: but you, you know what? One thing, um, in academy when I was in there, it was really a little different from what you're saying. The reason I'm saying that is because somebody was smart enough not to have, like, career academy, you know, officers and lieutenants and firemen. They used to pull guys from the field to teach you know, you understand? And, and that helped a lot because you were getting stuff, you know, from freshly from the field. So they would throw their little, you know, do's and don'ts in there and, you know, little things. They used to throw stuff in there that you go like, Oh, you know, uh, this is stuff that you're going to run into in the field, you know?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, uh, it's funny. I remember that there were some people that taught us that were fantastic. And there were some others that we revered as brand new, you know, academy recruits that I worked right. with later on in my career and realized, okay, maybe you weren't the best person to be teaching at the fire academy. So yeah, we had a whole, a whole mix of, of, of both, you know, like you said, people that were probably best just teaching and people that were really walking the walk in the fire ground too.
1: Right. And then you got people that want to teach and you got people I call it want to hide, <laughs> you know. But I prefer you, if you don't want to fight fires in the fire or the fire department, I prefer, and I respect you for going and being a career fire academy guy. You know, I, I, rather than have you on the line or, you know what I mean, depending on you to save my life, if that's, you know what you want in the fire department. If I could, I would give it to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you mentioned about you know graduating and walking into the firehouse. So what what was your experience coming from the rock and actually entering your first uh, engine company?
1: Oh, the, the, the guys were great. I um, when I got on, there was not but senior guys on the job because when I came in. Um, they haven't hired a firefighter for, I think it was between five and seven years or something. So I was the first, you know, one of the first, um, guys to come in after five or seven years. I don't remember exactly the number. So they were happy to see me, you know what I mean? The junior guy, because you know, you know, you got to take over his, <laughs> his duties, you know, um. Far as you know, making the coffee and this, um, the last one to sit down to eat, the first one off to do the dishes, you know, that type of stuff, you know, which is okay because uh, you were the dishwasher, (laughs) you were the coffee maker, you know, I mean, you was the guy to shine the brass, you know, but it was okay.
0: Yeah. And it's a, it's a rite of passage. I had, I worked for Anaheim fire and it was, it was very much like that as well, you know, and, and you get the, uh, the captains as they were then, they, they had the lieutenants were called captains on the West Coast and, you know, they would try and get to the dishes and you literally have a, a wrestling match in the middle of the kitchen to get the, you know, the, the officer yes. out of the sink and, you know, have to fight for the mop and all that stuff. But yeah, but. It wasn't. I didn't ever see it as negative. I thought it was. It was fun the way they did it. It was never them all watching TV while I did all the work. It was still all hands on a lot of stuff. But it was absolutely that. Once you made it through that crucible, and the next wave came in behind you, there was a sense of pride that you had, you know, earned the title of "quote unquote" a good rookie.
1: Well, yeah. It's a. It's the whole thing is uh, you're being indoctrinated. The whole process, you know, and um, somebody told me one time they asked, they go, well, well," you know, they got into these things that I don't get into. They got to. Well, why you got to wash the dishes? I go, wait a minute. I go, you don't understand. They've been washing dishes. The junior guy before I even existed." (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) know? I say, it's my turn. (laughs) You know, that's it. Because as guys came behind me, I helped them out but it was their turn, you know? So, you know, I had, it was great. And I was, I was, I say lucky because I got in a decent firehouse where, um, there was fires and not a lot of just running out for nothing, you know? And I, I actually got a fire my first tour. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. And, um, the guys, you know, Oh, man, forget it. The guys, you know, they put the fire out and stuff like that. And then they let me overhaul, you know, That's which a- which was so good, feeling so good to learn and have the nod in the hand. And you just really got there, you know, at any time, you
0: know. Yeah. Well, with, with that early time, because obviously, you know, as we're going to get into it, the number of people that were excited about this conversation and pretty much all of them viewed you in that senior man mentor role now you know one of my friends will that um just came down to visit us a couple weeks ago was talking about an incident 13 years ago where he remembers being in a fire and you taking him aside as a brand new you know rookie himself and you know showing around some of the stuff that the on that particular scene that you were on were there you know what what are some of the memorable um moments or men that mentored you when you were that young recruit
1: Oh, I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to mention this guy. Um, This firefighter, he was a senior guy when I was in Williamsburg, right? His name is, um, and I hope he hears me, uh, John Rizzo. He was a senior man. I, I could never, ever forget him. Never. And he knows because I spoke to him recently because uh, he got sick and um, now he's a lot better. And I called him and you want to talk about a small world. His son wind up coming into special operations while I was there. Really? <laughs> you know, oh, awesome. Or oh, just like his dad, just like his dad. He, he was, uh oh, he to me. He was the ultimate senior man at the time, you know. And I even told him when I spoke to him, I said, John, I owe you a lot because I learned so much from you as a senior man. Um, it's one major thing was respect, you know what I mean? Respect for, you know, each individual, you know, in the fire department and, you know, in the firehouse, I should say um oh john was an ultimate senior man and i took a lot of the stuff that he gave me and taught me and i use it as i came up to be a senior man
0: now what were some of the the things that set him apart from you know other men that i'm sure you admired as well and also what were some of those those kind of takeaways that you still use to this day
1: Well, that's the one, one of the main things I was saying, like respect, you know, um, you respect, um, him, I mean, other firefighters and they respect you, you know, um, if things kind of, um, like if two firefighters, you know, got into any type of verbal thing, you know, John would come down and okay, what's the problem? And, it was said, okay, that's an easy one. We can take care of that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like that. And another, this was another key thing was, John took his stuff in the firehouse because I learned that there's the officer, the captain, there's all the lieutenants, and then there's you. So, you know, um, I was pretty much in, uh, I was in a double house. You know, so you had a lot of guys. So, you know, just life problems come up and, and you know, things come up in the firehouse and John would just take care right there on like the apparatus floor and didn't let it get upstairs to the captain because he always said things like, um, you know, well, the officers to, you know, rather than five guys come up there with a problem, um, you know, you got one guy the senior guy to come and talk to the officers. Instead of five different guys come and tell the captain or the lieutenants the same thing. You have the one senior guy come and speak to the captain or the lieutenants. And I really like that, you know. So you try not to get, let, you know, I you could say minor things, get upstairs. So if you got 10 guys with 10 minor things, there's ten problems that shouldn't get upstairs to the offices, so he would solve it down on the apparatus floor or in the kitchen, which I really liked.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's huge and something I've seen in. You know, I ended up working for four departments because geography took me to the west coast and then back to the east. And in um, you know, I would say I would say the the good ones. It didn't really. Factor in what I'm about to say, but some of the poor ones that I would say really had less camaraderie, brotherhood, sisterhood. Um, there was the grievance. So every little thing. Oh, we're going to file a grievance. We're going to go through the union, you know, and instead of, like you said, some of them obviously had to go through a paper trail. Some of them could have been just sitting down face to face with someone and having a conversation and, you know, figuring out the solution. But I think there was in, in those places, an abandonment of human communication almost to to me because there's a lack of courage because you you know it it can be uncomfortable talking to another man or woman about an issue that you have but once it's done it's done but if you don't say anything and just file paperwork it's never really you know addressed properly
1: right right well you you know before this is just you know me i think before any paperwork or anything leaves that firehouse, it should be brought to the senior guy because the fire department, I just found out in the firehouse, the average thing could be solved right there. You know, like you said, there's different personalities. There's always going, I call it bumping heads. There's always going to be heads bumping, but then you'll find out that, uh, Oh man, I didn't mean to bump your head. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I, that's um that's fire, part of the fire department. You um you got eight personalities. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> you <know? laughs> and I hope everybody knows what that is. If not, i like I tell my daughter, Google it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you mentioned the
0: senior man role. And again, you know, we're kind of jumping ahead to further in your career, but what I've seen in, in my very short career compared to yours, um, 14 years actually, you know, on the fire service, but was in this environment, in these specific departments that I work for, there was a kind of push to promote. Sometimes it was purely financial because some of these places were very, very poorly paid. Um, so there was that kind of invisible hand driving people up the career ladder. Um, you know, obviously there's other reasons for that too, but it, it seemed like there weren't many men and women left in the firefighter position to become the senior, like, you know, literally some of these senior firefighters who had five years on. So, you know, what have you seen, you know, as, as you've traveled to different departments and, and how, how would you instill people to, If they, if they don't have a burning desire to promote, to stay at the firefighter level. That's what I, I I retired as a firefighter after 14 years, but I jumped around. So I wasn't in in that one department. But what would you say to people that, you know, were kind of felt the push to promote, but wanted to stay in that position and and just be a really, really good firefighter?
1: Well, it's all right. It's all right. Um, if you had the desire, you know, to move up in ranks. You know, if that's what you want to do, it's okay. I just look at um, your reasoning, you know, sometimes financially people have to do it, you know. But one thing I instill, you know, because I go around, you know, I'm in West Virginia, but I go around to different states, Maryland, Virginia, and I speak about uh, this subject. And And that's exactly what's happening down here is um guys are getting promoted or junior guys what i call them is and and when i talk to them, i say these exact words i say what i call you guys is junior senior men that's what i call them and i tell them i said i call you guys junior senior men and i say that um there's more to being a senior i Man, I got to say this too before. I keep saying fireman. Um I I I'm, I'm older and I came up saying fireman. I don't mean any harm to anybody. Um I'm, I'm know that the word or the name is firefighter and I'm working on being politically correct. So don't anybody get mad at me about saying fireman. <laughs> Yeah, so I had to say that so to clarify because we know we have our uh, women on the fire department too, you know. Judy so I wanted, to, yes, I wanted to clear that up, you know. But when I go speak to them, like I said, I call them junior senior man. See, and I learned, you know, not you know just my In my head, but I learned from other senior other senior firefighters and see I use that term um, so, you're already progressing <laughs> yes yes I'm learning um, that it's more to than just a time in a firehouse and time on the job of being a senior see a man there's a lot more to it because. Um, you got to have knowledge of the company, of the tools, you know, of the working of the fire pump and the working of the job. Um, you know, uh, different building construction and it's going to what neighborhood you're in, you know, because when a junior guy come to you and ask you questions, you know, it ain't gonna look good as a senior person not having the answers. You know, to some of the questions at least, you know, and uh, junior, uh, here I go, firefighters, they come to you sometime with personal stuff, family stuff, you know, you got to be able to help them out with that too. So you're a counselor too, you know what I mean? You're not just a guy that uh, I've been on a job 15 years and I've been in this firehouse 10, you know what I mean? That don't have the answers for these junior firefighters, you know, when they come to you with different stuff, you know, it, even though it's the the firehouse or the fire department, it's still life, you know, with life with life terms and life problems.
0: Yeah, because we're human beings; we're not superheroes.
1: Yes, well, mentally we think we are. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's the thing. I think we have to catch ourselves. But I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think that's something that's really finally getting some light shone on it is, you know, that that human element is so important that yeah, the skills, you know, taking a door, all these, these, these uh, tools that we have in our toolbox are invaluable. But there is a human element that is often brushed under the carpet, which is, you know, we have some of these horrific calls. And you know maybe the victim in that particular one looks or is the same age as your child, your mother, you know whatever it is. And I think absolutely, as as a, a mentor, you have to be thinking about the the emotional health of your men and women too.
1: Oh, definitely, uh, definitely. Well, you know that's really big now too. You know because um, I see it now that even. Um, When you have a fire and there's a loss of life, see, I'm not saying it's so easy to deal with, but if I dealt with it 10 times and this is your first time, uh, you understand? Yes. So, you know, I might have a little better understanding of kind of how to deal with it, deal with it than you do.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think the 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 power of story is so important. So as a senior man or senior woman, you know, y- you have the ability to say we had this other fire and this is what happened. And I went home and drank, cried, you know, whatever, kicked the dog, you know, and then realized it was wrong. And this is what I did to fix it. And now I find, you know, I go, I go to the river to unwind or I go to the beach or whatever. So yeah, I think using your prior experience in a human way can be an incredibly powerful um you know tool to show a junior firefighter that it's okay to feel that way and and you're not helpless there are roads out of how you're feeling now and and this is what i did and it may not work for you but you'll find your own version of that and get and, and ultimately be stronger from this but it's okay to be to be upset right now because these things are horrible that we that we mitigate
1: yeah that takes a lot of work I mean, you know, even as a senior guy, because like you mentioned, you are human, you have feelings, you have children that, you know, at home. And this may have been a loss of a child or something, you know, near the age of your child or, you know, your brother or your sister, you know, or somebody, you know. So if if it don't affect you, you're not human, you know, you know, because uh, you don't, you can't control feelings. I, I, you know, I have a lot of sayings and stuff that I do and think for myself. You know, I said, you know, the only thing I try to control is nothing. Because the only control I have is out of control.
0: <laughs> I like that.
1: Yeah, that's one thing I use for myself. So, you know. And um, no, ain't, ain't no controlling fires. <laughs> no. You
0: know? Well, like I said, it's organized chaos. So you're just trying to navigate <laughs> yes. your way around. <laughs>
1: yes, yes. It's, you know, that's why you latch to the senior guys and with the knowledge. When I got into, got in, first got in the fire department, that's the first thing I did. I latch onto the senior guys because I wanted to know how this guy survived for 20 years in this fire department, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, I said 20 years. When I got on. I said, whoa, I'll never make 20 years, you know? How wrong and you I were. <laughs> go like, yeah. And now I go like, you kidding me. I, I, I retired a, a lifetime. I spent half of my life in the fire department, you know? And I'm going to be honest with you, and people that know me, I enjoyed every minute of it. You know, I learned stuff, you know, from guys, you know, I didn't only help and teach guys helping taught me, you know, um, I, 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 <laughs> this guy, if he listens, he'll know. Um, um, up in New York, I built the deck in my backyard and it was 12 by 12 by 12 by 12, a monster. And, um, my wife go to me, Where'd you learn how to do that? I remember when you couldn't even tie your shoes. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, and that's where I learned that stuff. There was a guy that built decks and um, I had the concept of building construction, you know, and he just drew it on the blackboard and I go, ah, okay. You know, and everybody said, yeah, yeah. You know, if you want help, you know, I'm the type of person. I just take my time and um like frank sinatra my way
0: (laughs) well you 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 had a 35 year career so you know before we get into you know williamsburg and then rescue one when we're still on this subject what when you look back wellness wise whether it was your physical fitness whether it was some of your you know spiritual emotional practices what are some of the tools that you think worked for you to enable you to be you know have such longevity and such a you know a harsh career
1: well you know i think i gotta i gotta give it to to start off like my upbringing you know um i especially today i know that i owe my mother so much you know, I owe her so much because she made me the person I am today. You know, and that's where it started with me. But then, when you get in the fire like you get in like the fire farming, you come up and you realize that is a very physical job. You know, so now you can't, and you don't want to weigh three hundred pounds and try to do that job. Because you know what the result's going to be, but not only that, I was a kid. You know, what I mean, I was twenty six years old. I was um, one hundred and forty three pounds. <laughs> you know, and it ain't like my mother didn't cook. Forget about it. <laughs> 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 you know? um, so playing the basketball, so I was I was physical. I was I was I was ready. You know, so I I could because out in uh, Williamsburg where I started at, there was. Six-story walkups. There was no elevators, not in these buildings. They were most of the building was six-story walkups. So I remember one time I, um, because at that time they only use um, two and a half inch hose with the brass nozzle. So I remember stretching a second line, and um, I I walked up. I got up to the sixth floor, and my arm, um, where I had my, my folds, was numb. <laughs> so when I got up there, they go, oh, we won't need this line. I go, thank God, because I can't even raise my arm. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> So those kind of things let you learn, and you say, well, I gotta be in better shape. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, so you start learning from, I'd say, uh, mistakes. You know what I mean? Like that. But like the key thing, I think I was a kid. You know, and as a kid, <laughs> you know, there was no stopping you. You know, physically, maybe mentally, you, you were a little messed up. But then I had the senior guys that helped me out with that, you know. And I, I I'll say it again, and I always say it, and I'll keep saying it. The key is being open to learn and being open to things, you know? And uh, today I am so happy, and while I was in the job, so happy that I was open because I learned so much, you know, from people. You can't shut people out because everybody has some type of knowledge or something that you can learn. You just gotta be open to do it, you know? (laughs) If you think you're Einstein, uh, you better take a look in the mirror, (laughs) you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think my hair resembles him, that's about it. <laughs> but it seems to me, I mean, one thing I'm getting over and over again, and I got this, you know, from talking to you yeah you know, a couple of weeks ago when we first chatted, and I got this from all the people, you know, that talked about you, is is just humility. Like just like you said, that not thinking that you know everything. And I think that in some of the younger firefighters officers that I've seen um <clears throat> that I would say weren't you know, definitely weren't my role models. It was that they, 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 they kind of peacocked, they masqueraded that they knew everything because in inside they knew they didn't. They didn't want to be exposed. Whereas the great leaders, like one of my uh, captains in, in Anaheim, Terry, um, was the opposite. Like, you know, yes, he knew a hell of a lot, but he would still listen to. Any ideas that we had on the fire ground or whatever, and then he'd make a decision and he'd say, right, here's what we're going to do. But that humility, I think, is so important in our profession.
1: Well, you know, it's I, I, I got to just say, you know, for myself, I only could speak. I, I think I just got it naturally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's, that, that's just me. You know, I, you got to be open to learn. You know, and you always can learn. And even still today, you know, I do the same thing. You know, I, because everybody's got something to give. You know, and you know, I talk to the officers too when I go and speak. You know, and I, 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 I mentioned to them, I go, you know, I don't know why you studied and you got promoted. You know, whether it's financial or whatever, but I said. Um, There's one thing that you really have to remember that you're a leader of men now, you know, so you have a great responsibility. Those firefighters are under you. So if somebody gets injured or something, you're the officer, you know? So I kind of, I, I call it, I kind of spanked them, but I kind of, Wake up that little light that's in their head. It's a little dull, so I kind of wake it, wake it up. And especially in you know companies um, that aren't that busy, you know they get laxed. But all it takes is one fire, <laughs> you know. That's what I tell people. You know, I always mention to the firefighters too. They go, "Oh, you're from Rescue One, New York." You know, you've been in New York fire pump all your life. I said. Yes, I said, But understand this. We all are firefighters. All it takes is one fire. And I always mention another thing, um, why I have respect for everybody from Proby on up, because you ever heard of the 23rd Street fire in New York? I have not, and I'm sure I should have. Well, if you get a chance, look at it. In the Twenty Third Street fire, almost somebody from every rank died in that fire. So that's why I said I tell people they go, "Oh, New York, you have a I said, "Look, all you need is one fire, you know." And said so a lot of um, you know companies because they're not that busy, they don't train, you know what I mean, or they don't drill. But all it takes is that one fire and you're not prepared.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean I couldn't agree more. I've preached about that a lot because the the philosophy I've always had as a fireman is you know if I was a complacent banker then I might mess up your transactions if I was a complacent plumber then I might flood your house but a complacent paramedic or a excuse me a complacent firefighter people are going to die same with law enforcement same with corrections um, so, you know, to to disregard that and that not scare the hell out of you, because it sure as hell scares the hell out of me of not being able to facilitate a rescue because of my lack of training. I think that should drive everyone. But, you know, if you are in a quiet firehouse, which I've seen a lot, then you have to think of the what ifs. All of our first shoes have idiosyncrasies, just like you mentioned. So you, you know, think about what could happen and then you create scenarios and you draw for them and you add stress and you add, you know, different factors to make it interesting and more realistic. But yeah, I, I, my last department, I worked with people who I know would have a panic attack if they had to put their mask on because they hardly ever got fire in that department and God forbid, and it's a big target hazard when it happens there are people are going to die because they weren't able to do their job, and I think that's completely
1: unacceptable, right? If not themselves, yes, you know, it's it's very important. I, I, I stress it really hard sometimes, I even curse so, uh, because people pay attention when you curse. Um, know your job. Be the best at it that you can be. I don't care where you work, how you work. Know your job. You know, that's very, very important. And if you don't want to be there, don't be there. The job is not meant for everyone. I've seen guys come over from, you know, maybe PD correction or something, get their first fire. And they go right back to those jobs. And I got to respect people like that. Because you know it ain't for you. I always i I don't mean any harm to the cops or the correction to anybody. I always say, what happened? And I go to them. I go, what happened? You couldn't shoot the fire out? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? So it's just little stuff I, I say to people, it, you know, and... I just say it as fun. I didn't mean any harm or nothing, you know. But you know, and I know, and firefighters know, and fire officers know that that job ain't meant for everybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just to, I want to pull up something that you told me the other day, um, which I think is very important for us to go over again. So you have, you know, a lot of people that just, found themselves falling to the wayside a little bit, whether it's skill, motivation, training, fitness, you know, body weight. Um, and, I, you know, I think the whole point is to create an environment for people to thrive. And if these people are willing to put the work in to get them back to where they were, there's that other percentage, a small percentage, just like you said, need to go to fire prevention to, you know, Q&A to, you know, maybe transition completely out because when they're held, you know, in the crucible, they're not able to do the job. But you were, you know, you were telling me the other day about, say you have, you know, a probie and they're not able to get it immediately. You know, and some people would would write them off, you know, right off the bat. You know, what is your mentality as far as um, being patient and, and giving the men and women time to learn these new skills?
1: Well, it's, you know, if you, in academy, I've seen. Guys, Some guys were sharp in certain areas, and some guys, they weren't sharp in certain areas. So everybody needs a little fire, like, uh, you know, like struck under them. You know, I needed help. I got help. But you got to be a, a, a person, when you're talking about humility, to ask for help. Don't go through the whole academy, and then when it's time to take the final exam, Um, whether it's physical or or written and you don't know the stuff that you could have asked somebody and learned, you know, in the so many weeks that you were there, you know, that's what I I look at. If you need help in an area and you're in the academy or where the firehouse or whatever, ask for help, pull somebody that you feel comfortable with. Um, Most of the time the senior guy is good. You could go to him one-on-one and say, look, you know, I don't understand, you know, the four to one, you know what I mean? Or, you know, uh, you know, or in any area, you know, I don't really know how to use this Halligan for um, outward open doors. I'm pretty good with inward, but I'm not sure about outward. You've got to ask for help. And, and, And that's pretty much when I taught at the Academy, you know, I would see it, you know as an instructor, I would see who was who, you know, by the teaching and, uh, you know, I would go to the guy, pull him on the side and I would say, look, it seemed like you're having a little problem with this here, you know, you know, come on at the lunch hour, me and you and we'll go over, we'll look at it, you know, and see, you know, what's going on, you know, but uh, the, the key thing I think is one-on-one, you know, not trying to embarrass the guy in front of everybody you know, that's when they will be open to listen and learn. Because uh, uh, everybody can't come to a person and show that they have a weakness. Who wants to show they got a weakness? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) So, you know, and and that's how I feel. But as an instructor, I pretty much seen, you know, where the guys were weak and who was weak in the spot or whatever. And... I would, you know, pull them on the side and go talk to them. And they were open to meet me on the lunch hour, and I was open to help as much as I could. Beautiful.
0: And that reminds me again of what you were saying about your academy days, like being a cohesive unit and wanting everyone to succeed. And I think that's, you know, that's how I view someone new coming to the fire. So I mean, myself, like I never felt like I was a senior man with 14 years because I was always craving more information. And I did do a lot of, you know, mentoring new people that came in, but I still was hungry for, you know, just like you were at 35 years. But I think if you have that understanding that we're bringing each other up, aside from, you know, the turds, that we, we, everyone has a few of those walk through the door that just don't want to work at all. And there's a certain point where you're like, all right, enough is enough. This person just does not want to put the effort in. But that's a small percentage. Everyone else, like you said, strengths and weaknesses. They may not have come from a construction background or a plumbing background, but they may be phenomenal with a computer. So you're going to have to help them use a halligan and a chainsaw.
1: Right. Well, that's what happened one time. (laughs) There was a guy, you know, because you're up with somebody. And there was a guy in the academy, you know, he was really bad. So I go to him, I go, what the hell were you, a bank teller? He goes, how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> Those go, soft Holy. hands. <laughs> yeah, I go, how did, you, he goes, how did you know? So I took that guy as my partner. I'm not kidding you. I took him as my partner and I went around the things we did when we lowered each other, you know, off off the roof and stuff like that. And I go like, look, I go, I'm going to lower you and I'm not going to drop you and you're going to lower me and you're not going to drop me you know what I mean and then when we used the uh, time the partner saw I said I'm not going to cut your foot off and you're not (laughs) going to cut my foot off (laughs) you know what I mean so and we came through and and he got an academy it was good you know he got better I mean nobody's perfect but as a a bank teller he got a lot better you know with tools
0: yeah brilliant I mean even myself I, I grew up on a farm so I was you know I had rough hands. I've been, you know, doing farm work for my whole life when I was, you know, a child. Um, and, you know, drove machinery, but I'd never actually used some of the power tools that we use on the fire ground. So even though I'd actually been around that, I didn't know my way around a chainsaw the way I should. And I certainly didn't know how to cut a roof with a chainsaw they did in the West Coast. So yeah, I mean, you know, we all have things to, to offer. And I think if I love that phrase, if you think you know everything in the fire service, that's your day to retire.
1: That's right. That's right. That's the day not to be there. <laughs> you don't. You don't get to. If you don't want to be there, I mean, if you don't know after so many years and people try to help you, and you shouldn't be there. You Absolutely. Know, I'm not even going to say retire because retire takes some time. You know <laughs> no, you mean? need to be gone that, that day. <laughs> yeah, that means you're going to go through that job, and you know, people may get hurt and die. So you shouldn't be there. Absolutely. You know, All right. Well.
0: You talked about Williams I'm sorry. Um you talked about Williamsburg. I'd love to transition into um what made you decide to you know head down the rescue road and then again your journey into that company.
1: Well, I was in um I was in Williamsburg for like 15 years. I did a few years in the engine. Um then when they stopped giving me the nozzle, I knew it was time to go. <laughs> <laughs> So what I did was I I transferred to the truck uh, and the truck work was really good, which I liked a lot because um, it makes you think, you know, because a lot of positions, you got to go and you're on your own. You know, so I I like that concept that it makes you think. And, you know, on your own, to make you do your job. You know what I mean? When you got the roof and you got the uh, outside vent, man. And, and I came up in a tiller, you know, and uh, that was another great thing, driving a tiller. You know, I became really good at it. I loved it. You know, after I, you know, hit a couple of radiators and stuff. But <laughs> besides that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Besides that. And, you know, and I, 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 when I hit the radiator, I felt so bad. Guys goes calm down. Don't worry about it. You're not the first one to hit this radio. This radio used to be so big. Now look at it. You know what I mean? They <laughs> should cut it down and seal it and use it again. You know. And, and see, they made you feel so comfortable. You know. And and they're right. You're not the first one. You know, you're not going to become an expert in, in at one time in a teller. You know. But I'm not bragging anything, but I got very good at it. You know. Uh, you know, as, because of the teacher, because I was open, I was saying like, oh man, I got to learn this thing. You know what I mean? And it was great. And even the job that you do is great. You're on your own. You know, you got to think and get this job done. You know, you got to get that fire escape ladder down, you know, and it's, you know, it's up 10 feet or whatever, you know? So I love that. And, um, the tools, what's the doors, and I I loved all of that stuff. So the opportunity came up um, to go to a rescue company, uh, Rescue One, and I said, I don't wanna go there. What do I wanna go there for? You know, the thing is that, um, you know, as a firefighter, you get so comfortable in your firehouse, you don't wanna go nowhere. You know what I mean? Because you're comfortable with the guys, and you know, now you gotta go meet new people and all that. But you know what one of the senior guys said to me? He said, Al, let me just tell you this. Because he knew I was like in the air with it. So he says, um, he said, when any firehouse you go to, he says, the faces are different, but the personalities are the same. <laughs> you know, and that was one of the senior guys, and I go. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? But two things made me uh, make the decision. One, at the time, the captain said, look, I had the opportunity to go to a rescue company. I didn't go. I regret it today, right? And the same captain, he says, yeah, and by the way, if you um, you don't like it, you got a year to come back. So I called it, I had that umbilical cord you know, so I said, you know what? I always could come back. I got the umbilical cord, you know, but when I, <laughs> yeah, and that's how I was thinking. And when, but when I got there, oh my God, oh, oh, I saw the tools. I say they got these tools in this job. They got these tools. They do this. They do this. They do this. Oh man, I just got nuts. I just started studying, taking the brochures home. I started dating even Guys didn't even know I was taking that paperwork home. I was taking a paper. We would do a um, we would do a drill or whatever the drill was, and um, later on I would, you know, guys would go kitchen or whatever and reading or whatever. i used to go back and I'd take a tool back apart, and I I really didn't sleep a lot or lay down a lot in the firehouse, you know, because I slept so hard. That I felt that I would never wake up for a call, you know. <laughs> and that was true because I slept really hard, you know. Um, because I, I I had gained weight, you know. I was, you know, when you eat a whole lot of food and you lay down, you know, you know what happens. You know, uh, actually the food um that you ate, it goes to your stomach and all the blood goes to your stomach. You know, the whole digestive work. So now you're lazy and tired, you know. But I, I was just more afraid that I wouldn't wake up, especially early in my career, you know. I stayed at the house watch. I stayed up. I said, oh, I'll take the watch, you know what I mean? Meanwhile, I was afraid that they wouldn't be able to wake me up.
0: <laughs> you know? Were you one of those firefighters that everyone thinks is dead in the, their dorm? I've had those guys before. And You shake them like five times before they wake up, and you think they've just had a cardiac arrest.
1: <laughs> well, it... Th- um, in the old days, they used to leave you.
0: <laughs> oh, I've been left
1: before. <laughs> and, and me too. And they come back. But it was great. And the officers, you know, uh, were really good guys and they were old timers. And they used to call you out and call like a roll call. And they tell you, they go, look. You hang out with the, you. You hang out with the boys. You get up with the men, <laughs> you know. And then you would get, um, you would get like a, a a little spanking. You would do late watches, like you know, three to six, you know, for whatever time he picked, you know. But you were you were happy that you. I was happy that you didn't get fired, <laughs> you know, what I mean? for not doing your job. Yeah, you know, and um, that's. How I I wound up in Rescue One? You, know, I went there at the time. You had to have ten years in a busy company, and you had to have a a, a specialty, a skill. And today, you submit um, a transfer CD thirty. Back then, you did a resume. So you walked in with a resume and you you give it to the captain. But giving it to the captain is like giving it to the firemen because they you know they know everything. You know, if you got a new guy coming in, you know what I mean? And and I'm coming in there, a black person, which it hasn't been one um, in that company. So I was one of the first so even the captain and i understood afterwards um he says you know there's you know never been you know a, a black man in the company and um you know i don't know how the guys are going to take it so i i go to him i said look i said i don't have that problem i said that's their hang up you know what i mean just like that and um over the over my career being in Rescue One, I found out that the captain was really questioning me where I stood with that stuff. It wasn't the guys. You understand? Yeah. Yeah. That's what that was. He was checking me out where I stood. You know, but it took time, you know, we're on the job. But um the guy was the guys were great. The guys, they got down there, they were they were willing to teach you everything, you know. And I worked with some fantastic guys, fantastic. And again, there were a lot of senior guys, so there was a there was knowledge in that place, like out of this world. Still today, I call when I call uh, Rescue One, the guys I call them the Thinkers, you know. Because they're always, that mind is always going. They're always thinking, you know, from uh, making tools and jobs and, oh, oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. And I'm still in contact with a lot of them. A lot of them. And I heard that, you know, Kevin Shea.
0: Um, well, I know I know of him. I would love to get him on the show. But, yeah, I mean, I'm very familiar with the iconic picture of Kevin hanging from a rope.
1: Well, I know Kevin very well. Matter of fact, he just called me the other day. Um, I actually gave him a, a Rescue One hundred anniversary uh, book. You know, I, this was a few years ago because he had retired and he lives up in Montana. You know, but I went to uh, FDIC and he was there, and I gave him the book. Um, what a guy! The day of the first time, um, you know, incident at the World Trade Center in the uh, garage, right, Um, was on a Friday. I remember it perfectly because Kevin Shea came in and he relieved me that morning, you know, And, and but I had known him because he was um in the next company from me in Williamsburg before he went to rescue. Him. Oh,
0: so you both had the same journey.
1: Yes. Yes. Kevin is a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Kevin is an amazing person. You know. I I you know, I I was gonna I, I gotta say this. I work with some of the greatest guys in the New York City fire department. And the reason I, I'm not giving names because I may miss somebody. And not only that, it probably would take us two or three days for me to get through the names of the guys that I work with that in the New York city fire Department.
0: Well, one of our mutual but friends it, is uh, John Walters who I had on the show
1: too. Were you there when John got hit? I was at John. I and John worked together. Oh, um, uh, And Michael Schunk is the second person that was standing there talking to John. You know, I still talk to Mike, not that often, but I still talk to him. But um, yeah, that was a real bad tragedy because they were young guys, you know. They were young guys. And, uh, you know, I, I hate to say this type of stuff, but this is just... My thinking as getting older and learning, learning, still learning. Um, my term for me is life on life terms, not on mine. You know, you understand that? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's how I kind of look at life. So even when something happens to me or something goes down or whatever, I go, it's not on my terms. You know what I mean? Because if it was on my terms, it'd probably be 10 times worse. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> You know, um, if you ever hear me talk, I, I, what I do is I have a lot of sayings and things that help my life and help me along, you know, through life. And I pass it on, you know, uh, best I can. If you don't listen, you don't listen. But one thing my mother said is that life is a cycle, right? You know, it's, going to, uh, uh, it's going to come back. And my proof and the, the thing I use for that is, I tell people, I go, yeah, remember when I was coming up, it was bell bottoms, right? I said, now, y'all just call them flares and boot cut. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. It's the same. Yeah. So that's where you see the life cycles, right? Yeah, I just try to give them the simplest example. But if you look at it it's true. Now you call them, you call them bootcut and flares, but they're just a form of a bell bottom.
0: Absolutely. The kids now are literally wearing the same things that I wore when I was, you know, a teen, a young teen. It's 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 bizarre. It's literally done full circle in I don't know what 35 years.
1: Yeah. And well, I I collect antiques. So I see, you know, um <laughs> the thing is I got stuff, antiques, that's worth more than it, the the thing they have today. You know what I mean? I'm saying, like, wait a minute, this is old. Why is it worth more money? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I have, I don't know. Do you know what a Vic troller is?
0: Um, I do not.
1: Okay, you'll know when I tell you. A Vic troller is the old record player with the big speaker come off and you wind it. And you play the records. Okay, like a gramophone? Yeah, but this is, yeah. But uh, I have one of those. Old, very old. I don't collect antiques to sell. I like old stuff. You know, I'm old now, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. I tell people, I, I usually, I, I, I make it work for me. Because if I don't remember your name, I go, oh, don't worry. I'm old. My memory's going back.
0: You there know? we go. Life on your terms.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You got you to gotta make things work for you, you know. But um, get back to the fire department. I tell you, ultimate. I love the job. I love firefighters. And I had an ultimate career in New York City. Ultimate. You know, and. What I do now, which for a few years, I just didn't do anything. So now, when I'm down here, I go to different firehouses, you know, I'm in, being invited, and um, I go speak. Because I realize in my own head that if you have knowledge and you don't pass it on, it's useless. You know, so that's what I try to do. The little bit that I know, I try to pass on to other firefighters you know, and fire, fire officers.
0: Well, that's what's interesting with our retirees. And I had, um, I think it was Walt Lewis um, on the show. One, He's been on a few times. But um, he was talking about what a wasted resource um, retirees are. And especially in, in, for example, this mentoring program I was talking about. So you have these men and women that serve for, you know, 10, 20, 30 plus years. And then one day they walk out the station, the bay door closes behind them and and that's it, you know. So mentally, that's not great for a lot of these men and women, you know, especially if, if that's kind of all they've known and they haven't spread their, their wings in other directions to transition into. Um, but you know, there also goes all that knowledge, you know, all that, as you said, the old school, um, you know, catalog that you developed to how to mitigate some of these weird and wonderful disasters that this next generation may not have seen yet. So I think it's a, it's an incredibly powerful opportunity to include retirees back into that education pr- um, process, whether it's you know, teaching at the academy, whether it's, you know, as you said, coming to firehouses and giving classes, because, you know, what you saw 30 years ago, we may only see once in a blue moon, but as, you know, to quote you, it only takes one fire, and if I'm at an incident and I remember of a fire you told me about, maybe that little bit of knowledge will actually help save lives on that one call that I go to
1: yes it's you know it's it's experience i mean if you lived it, you know it's a cycle that you know you can't um predict what's going to happen at a fire and but if you got to force that door. Uh, The locks may change, but it's still either metal door or wooden door and you still open inward or outward, you know. So there's something that can help you far as, you know, me and you talking or me speaking and you ask me a question about a door and this or, you know, teaching at an academy or some training or something, you know, it's still a door. You know, and I I used to laugh in Manhattan, especially. They would take um, they would take uh, just you know, as an example. I'm exaggerating, but as an example, they would take and put a thousand dollar chain on the door, and a, a two dollar lock. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so you look at this, you go like, this guy spent all this money on this chain, and so you go through the lock method, you know, or vice versa. You know, <laughs> it's so it's kind of I I learned a a thing is um look before you leap, you know, so you go you you know what I mean by that is the thousand dollar chain you go start working on that, but he got a two dollar lock on the door. Yeah. On the chain. Or a window next to the door. (laughs) You could just break. So if you look, you go like, hey, I could take that $2 lock, (laughs) you know, instead of working so hard on the uh, $1,000 chain, you know, and that's what it is. I say, look, because, you know, I seen things, I did things, you know, I I try not to embarrass people. I try my best not to embarrass people, but I'm not going to stand there if you ain't getting the job done. You know what I mean? I'm not going to do that. Or if I see something that's not safe, I'm not going to stand there and watch that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm going to get involved yeah. very, very quickly. And those you know, and those and
0: are I, learning moments too. Like when you've had a tool snatched from your hand or being pushed out of the way, then you'll remember that as well. And then like you said, then especially if you take someone back to the firehouse after and then walk them through why
1: it wasn't working. Well, you know what? Sometimes you don't have time at a fire when people lives are on the line to say, oh, no, turn it and put it this way, turn and put it this way. You know, like you said, chaos, you know, you people lives are on the line. You know, what I mean, I, I don't really um, try to take people tools, but the job needs to be done. You know, what I mean, the jobs got to get done. You know, and uh, and if what it what it what's the old saying? If you ain't part of the solution, you're part of the problem. <laughs> Amen <know>? to that. <laughs> yeah. So you know that kind of stuff comes into play. Absolutely. You know? And and I I loved I loved the rescue. You, you know, because the chiefs they knew what was what. You know what I mean? Some chiefs would restrain you, but. And in, in, deep down inside, they knew, you know. And I and, and I loved every minute of it, you know. I could talk about incidents. I um, I was at something where there was a hole in the floor or something, and guys are working all around and working all around. And I'm saying to myself, I go, somebody's got to cover that hole. Somebody's got to cover that hole. So I gave an opportunity. I go, that's it somebody going to fall in the hole. So I go, I take the door off the hinges and stuff and put a door over it, you know what I mean? In the old days, the um, the uh, saws had, had uh, belts. I don't know if you remember that, but they had belts on it and the belt would pop sometimes, you know, heat it up and pop. And you always pretty much, not always, but you're supposed to have a bag with extra belts and tools in it so you could change it right there. So I got on the roof. I was like second-do person, roof man, and the guy cut, and his belt popped, and he didn't have his bag with him. So I walked over to the top of the aerial. They always kept an ax on that top of that aerial. So I took the ax, and I started chopping a hole in the roof, and he looked at me. He goes, "Um, wow, I didn't think it had. And I, I said to myself, I said to myself, we didn't always have sores.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, my truck company, we actually had, you know, the, the, um, the, uh, God, not Hally, scabbards for the, for the axes. So we had them actually strapped around our waist. And when I went right. to my next apartment, one of the first things a guy said to me is, why, why do you have, why do you have an axe? I'm hmm. like, because <laughs> I'm a firefighter. What do you mean, why do I have an axe? But that was it, you know. It wasn't, you know, they just didn't think that that was a, a viable tool. I think mean, they'd only seen it polished on some, you know, trophy cabinet somewhere. But, yeah, I had my old captain that I mentioned before, Terry. There will be a couple of times where we go on a roof, um, on a training, you know, training evolution, and he'd say, All right, put the saws down, and he'd tell us to, to make a hole with the axe. So that way you knew that you could.
1: Well, I'll tell you a story on that one. Is that um, I um, you know, I was new on the job and stuff, right? And I had the uh, I had the floor above, but it was a commercial store and was uh two stories above apartments. So I wound up in an apartment right up above the store. So when I went in, the door closed behind me. The door closed behind me, and it got really bad up there. I went back to the door, I couldn't get out because the door didn't have a doorknob or it fell out, fell out. And the thing was, at the time I was new, so I didn't know about carrying screwdrivers and this and this in your pocket. So I had to actually go through the window and throw my helmet out, you know? Um, uh, so after I did that, because that's letting them know that there's a firefighter trapped, and you know they go to work on that. So after that incident, I try to carry every tool you could think of in my pockets. You know. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, and I so, think that's it. It's the, it's the plan B. It's like you were saying with with you know the the saw that threw the belt. You know, you you've got to have another option on you. It doesn't mean you need to walk around carrying the entire rescue unit in your pockets. But yeah, I mean, you got to think about if plan A doesn't work and I get trapped, do I have a bailout kit? Do I have tools? Do I have a way of breaching a wall or a window or, you know, something or even a tool to use as an anchor so I can fling myself out of a window. But yeah, if you're not thinking ahead, then you're, you know, like you said, you're completely at the mercy of life and not putting any control in your own hands.
1: And and I, I, I'll get back to I learned from the old timers, you know, they survived for 20 years in the New York City fire department. I wanted to know what they knew, you know, and that's what I did. I asked questions. I, I wasn't afraid, you know, you know, and like I said, if you, you know, have the fear or, you're such a strong person, and you're so smart that you don't need that. You don't ask nobody nothing. Something's wrong. <laughs> you know something's wrong. But I, um, I I love that job. I love Rescue One. I love the fire department, and I still talk to the guys. And if I could do another career, I would do it again. Now I understand even more why they say it's the best job in the world
0: Oh, and i agree 100 percent. i love that and you mentioned tillering i was a tiller man in california too and that to me uh, was a firefighter's wet dream <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah without a doubt
1: without a doubt that's ultimate i went when i went for uh it, when you go to academy be a chauffeur that's one of the things you got to do and there was another guy from manhattan he had a tiller. Most guys didn't have tillers because there wasn't a lot of them in the fire department anymore. So he was up in Manhattan. So me and him teamed up. And, the joke, you know, you drive the rig and you do the tiller. <laughs> we just ran through that. <laughs> you know what I mean? We had so much fun doing it. It was really good. But I, I didn't really ever really want to drive. Um, I drove some. I wasn't really good at it, but I didn't really want to drive because I call myself a backstep fireman. I came here to do this job, and that's the way I always felt. Not that the chauffeurs don't get involved, but I want to be an issue guy to go to the fire or to try to rescue somebody or do my job.
0: Yeah, and I've said the same exact thing myself, you know, I mean, in the fire departments I've worked for, especially if you're, you know, first you, the engineer, and there we had some amazing engineers, you know, were by the pump panel, you know, the the captain captain is, you know, outside, he's doing the 360, he's doing the report, and Hmm. the two firefighters are the one that are, you know, actually going in, going over the roof, going down the elevator shaft, whatever it is that we're doing, and yeah, to me, that that was what I dreamed about, so everyone has their own trajectory and you know like you said at the beginning if 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 promotion is what you want to do more power to you but i always felt like that's anything else would be a step down for me because i wouldn't want to be watching someone else doing the thing that i fantasized about doing all the time
1: well i did that one time i drove a chief right they didn't i don't know how it happened but i drove a chief and we pulled up they had a fire we pulled up and all the guys are running getting their tools doing their thing and i'm standing there with a clipboard or something in my hand i go like <laughs> i i felt like useless i go no 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 this ain't what i want to do <laughs> no i said I, ain't. I said i'm not doing this no more and i never wanted to do it never wanted to do it i said i came here to do this job and i love doing it i'm going to you know, I got trapped, you know, a few times and, you know, over my career, you know, things happen. And um, guys helped me out. You know, guys helped me out. I could I could talk, like I said, for days about these guys. You know what I mean? They're so amazing. They are amazing people. Smart. Smart. I call them thinkers. That's what they are. And they could come up with a solution for so many things, you know. And they know how I feel about them, you know. I still, you know, I, I did a few aspects in the job. Um, I work with Nancy, uh, Friends of Firefighters, you know, awesome. She does an awesome job and it's an awesome thing because she strongly, strongly, about helping firefighters. And today, more so of the mental part, you know, the stress, family, you know, she does so much, you know, she knows how I respect her. Because you know, I'll tell you, I don't, I, I don't have no problem, you know, telling you negative or positive. I have no problem telling you, telling you as a person.
0: Well, Al, welcome back. We are now sitting. Well, I'm I'm sitting in my home. You're sitting in the same place. But um, obviously we broke this up into two because I was in a hotel the first part of this conversation. Um, so I want to jump back in now. You know, we talked so much about your philosophy, the mentorship, people who mentored you, so many lessons for so many people out there listening. Um, but I'm sure everyone's dying now to hear some of the the fires and experiences that you've had that you use when you teach. So starting with the first part of your career on the engine, what were some of the either career fires or events that you still recount to this day as as kind of lessons learned, drawn from it?
1: Well, I, you know, it's, it's funny because the, uh, my first tour in a firehouse, I had a fire as a, as a probationary firefighter. And I had the, uh, you know, they actually gave me a nozzle. And I think I mentioned that I, after they put the fire out, they let me overhaul, you know, which still flames and, you know, and which was great because it was my really first time, you know, having the nozzle at a fire. So even as a probationary, orf- I mean, a probationary firefighter, I told you I'll get that, a progressionary firefighter that I, um, you know, you felt, uh, you know, your adrenaline is flowing because now, you know, you feel like you're, you're a real fireman now, <laughs> you know, because you're not in the academy anymore. Now you're in the action. So just the over- overhauling part that they let me do as a probie, a progressionary firefighter is, was like really, like, good. Now I can go home and I can really feel that I did my job, you know what I mean? Because I I put out fire that was really already out already. (laughs) So I was just overhauling the little, um, you know, flames that was there, you know. So that was the beginning of my feeling good about really being a fireman out in the field. You know. But, um, I enjoyed it that, you know, in the neighborhood I worked in Williamsburg, we uh, wasn't one of the busiest companies, but what was good about the company was we didn't do a lot of unnecessary running, you know, force alarms and all that. We didn't do a lot of that. You know, we pretty much average out fires when we went out of, you know, the firehouse. So it was an average place. And it's, it's strange because the neighborhood was Williamsburg and I remember as a kid my mother used to go shopping in that neighborhood you know because they had a lot of markets out there so she used to go shopping in the neighborhood and I had flashbacks from when I was a kid when I wound up in that neighborhood I go wait a minute you know I started seeing some of the old stores that were still there you know and I, I got along the neighborhood was a rough neighborhood you know I say rough because it was gang biker gangs, you know, and um there was a lot of i'd say arson for profit in that neighborhood, you know it was big time it was um you know a big neighborhood you know, but um. I I got a good relationship with the people in the neighborhood, the kids and, you know, the family. Um, As far as fires, they were like, the buildings were six-story walk-ups, no elevators. You know, that was the majority. They had projects and stuff with elevators, but the majority of buildings were were like six-story walk-ups and pretty much brick brownstones. You know they had uh they had a lot of strange buildings over there at that time. the Domino' Sugar Factory was in the neighborhood um Pfizer was in the neighborhood, so you had a lot of big commercial companies there you know and um let me see could I remember this one. They had a spot there where they took in um a lot of hospital waste, you know, and contaminated stuff. But this was the last company that was in New York that was able to do that. You know, you know they had all their safeties, so they were really good with it. You know, we even visit there. You know, we took, like, Geiger counters and stuff, and you always get some readings, even if they're sealed and everything, you know. But uh, since that, the neighborhood changed and the people there actually got that company out of the neighborhood saying that it was so dangerous. But it was there for years and years and years and years, you know, and they were one of the safest places, you know, for that type of stuff. You know, animal waste and, you know, all kinds of hospital stuff and chemicals and stuff. You know, That's interesting. We never had any problems there. Because the you know, uh, the just, ref,
0: refined sugars probably killed more people than any biohazard waste ever has. Oh
1: yeah, a few. Well, a few, we had a few deaths there. You know, because you got mountains and mountains and mountains and mountains of sugar. You know, and, and guys fall in, and that's it. You know, there's no getting out of that. You know, it's like it's like pretty much like quicksand. You know. So that, yeah, we did have a few um, deaths there. Yeah,
0: you know. from, from the diabetes, I mean, you think about killers in America, people don't think about white sugar, but that's one of the biggest killers of, of, of anything that we have in the States is refined white sugar.
1: Yeah, well, that's what it was. And because it was right off the water. So they were bringing it right in. You know what I mean? The ships are bringing the sugar and stuff right in. So I don't even have to tell you about the rodents. <laughs> <laughs> or, or should I say uh, uh, horses, that's how big they were, you know, because think about it they're coming, they're following the sugar, they're coming you know from foreign countries and they're on the ship, you know so that was it wasn't a problem for us, but it was a problem in the neighborhood, you know.
0: Now, what about fighting the fire? Because it's when you talk about Williamsburg, it reminds me of Hialeah, my first fire department. And we had five story apartment complexes and they engineered them to be 49 and a half feet. Because if you were 50 feet, you had to put standpipes in. So every single fire we went to, we had to handjack, you know, supply line or, you know, two and a half all the way up to the fifth floor to, to actually have, you know, water to flow.
1: Well, you had standpipes in the projects. But um, from what I remember, when they came in, you know, you had to put standpipes in, you know, newer buildings. Uh, but those buildings, a lot of those buildings was grandfathered in. So they didn't need, you know, it's like, um, I don't know, you know, brownstones, they didn't need fire escapes. You know what I mean? And they were grandfathered in. Mm-hmm. which is crazy now yeah but you you know what when you get to know your building construction you know what to expect you know on the outside anyway inside you you have no idea what's in there you know because of the alterations but most brownstones, if you work in a brownstone neighborhood you know about the no fire escapes or you know or, or certain things you know so what, so what about um, you know, the, some of the
0: significant fires? Because obviously we're going to talk about 9-11. That's a very powerful story in your life. But up to that point, before you went to Rescue 1, what were some of the career fires that you
1: remember? Well, I remember one. I got to remember this one. Well, um, one of the reasons I remember it so well, because I got trapped. You know, um, and another reason is uh, it was I was in Engine 221 and Ladder 104. And the address was 221 South 3rd Street. You still remember it? Yes. Oh, yeah. That was the same address as the engine. And um, I was actually on the fire escape. I was at the top floor right where the gooseneck goes over the roof i was at the top floor and on the fire escape and the fire blew out the window under me and i um i had to you know get out of there and i couldn't go down because it was right under me so i went up So um, I'm running up, but as I'm running, you know, the heat and smoke is everything behind me. And um, I was on the outside, so I didn't have a mask on. I had, you know, I had it with me on my back, but I didn't have it on my face because I was outside on the fire escape. And um, the fire blew out. The smoke was so heavy. It was inside um, inside a lot like a parking lot so the guys could actually, anybody who was in the street could actually see what was ha- happening to me, right? And the smoke blew out so strong and so heavy, I was overcome. But I made it to the roof and when I jumped over, the I got over the gooseneck onto the roof, I was unconscious. The smoke had overcome me. Wow. And um, one of the firefighters had seen it and I don't know where he came from, big guy. I'll never forget him either, he's a really good friend. Um, he actually came and got me and just took me downstairs and got me to the ambulance and everything. And the ambulance, I can remember, one of the attendants say, well, what's wrong wrong with?" You? And he goes, he started cursing, he goes, I, don't worry about what's going on with him, get him to the hospital, you know, like that. <laughs> so they wind up, you know, reviving me because it was, uh, you know, smoke inhalation. So I remember that fire, you know, very well for a lot of reasons, you know. And I'll never forget that, you know, between the address and me being overcome, you know. And I'm here today, thank God to him, you know. Should I tell you a story about him or? Yeah, please. Well, his locker was next to mine's and, um... Uh, this is a little crazy. My house in Brooklyn, right? So I'm, I'm doing my garbage outside, and, and the Con, uh, Con Edison truck pulls up. And I said, and I go to one of the guys, I go, don't tell me that you guys going to put a hole in the street and I'm going to lose my lights and everything, you know what I mean? For hours, right? The guy goes, no, we're working down the street. So the guy goes, and uh, his father calls him on the phone. And um his father, he tells his father, yeah, this black guy came out and you know said something about me, you know, putting a hole in front of his house. And his father says, Where are you working at? He said, um, Quincy Street. He goes, that black guy was Al, Al Benjamin. Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> But the kid came back and he said, um, you know, my father said hello. I said, Your father? He goes, Yeah. He goes chip on ones. I go, you gotta be effing kidding me, like that. But the thing is, I had when they were little kids, I had stayed at their house.
0: Oh, really? And, so, so they actually knew you then?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I had, but they were little kids. I stayed at their house, and um, one of the kids go, he says, "Dad, there's a black man in in my bed, like that." And father said, "Don't worry about it. It's your uncle." Like. That. <laughs> So when the kid came to the house, I go, don't tell me you're that little snotty-nosed kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? He goes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, That's it, 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 such a small world. That's only part of it. I go to um, a municipal credit union. I'm there doing something. And there's a firehouse right around the corner from my house in New York. So the fireman knew me. So one of the firemen was at the credit union. I go, yeah, how you doing? He goes, ah, oh. I go, yeah, how you doing? He goes, this is my wife, blah blah, 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 It was the same guy's daughter. Oh, really? Yeah. She says, I remember your name, but I don't really know you because I was so small then. I go, holy smoke. <laughs> and, and this happens in my life, like, all the time. All the time. I'm going, like, you got to be kidding me, you know? Like I was saying, a fireman in the um, restaurant, I mean, in the supermarket, you know, um, the firefighter from UPS. So it happens to me all the time.
2: Yeah. You
0: well, know. well, that speaks volumes, though, because, I mean, that, them recognizing you is a good thing. If they recognized you and it was a bad thing, that, that means you left a different legacy in the world.
1: That <laughs> I means you don't want them to recognize. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, I had a great career in engine 221 ladder 104 um plenty of fires plenty of fires learning a lot you know um i only spent a short amount of time in the engine which i said was um just a few years like i said when they didn't give me the nozzle anymore i knew it was time to go <laughs> <laughs> you know Plus, I, I, I call myself a doer. I like to do things, you know, physically, mentally, with my hands. So I wanted to uh, go to the truck, you know. And at that time, they were doing, they were filling, they were putting everybody in engines. The majority of people was going in engines, you know. Um, so then there was trucks that were short people, And they were lifting guys out of engines to go into these trucks. So I said, you know what? I like the house I'm in. I don't want to be lifted somewhere else to another truck. So I transferred to ladder 104 inside the same firehouse. You know, and I learned a lot in that neighborhood. You know, Uh, I learned a whole lot, you know, being second due to like real busy places that had, a, a wider area, you know, and it's so strange. Like I say, my life is like that. When I went to um, Rescue 1, a lot of the guys that worked in the neighborhood to the, uh a little busier companies were in Rescue 2. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so they knew me and I knew them, you know, so, which is uh, Rescue 2 is Brooklyn. Right. Yeah. So... You know, I got along. I learned from them. I I learned from everybody. You know what I mean? That's just how I am. You know, um, if you got something solid, I'm in, you know. So.
0: Now, what did you, so being on the engine in FDNY, what was it that you enjoyed about trucks? I had a similar thing in um, Anaheim in, in California. They actually cross-trained us to both. I ended up on a truck, as we mentioned earlier, about tillering. Um, but in that, in, in the West Coast, the truck did all the extrication, vehicle extrication. We did all the vertical ventilation because it was mainly wooden houses. We did a lot of cutting. So I loved that part of it. In the FDNY lens, what did you enjoy about engine work and, and what did you find that you loved when you went to the truck?
1: Well, I love, you know, it, it, it can't be done all the time, but I love being a nozzle man or even the backup you know because you're in there you know what i mean you're in there mm-hmm. you know there's no backing out once you're in there <laughs> you know but the truck um what i liked probably mostly was you had to do things on your own you know like the outside vent you know the fire skate could be in the back it could be on the side and i call it it made you think you know what I mean? You had to think of, uh, you know, how do I get to the roof? How do I do this? When you get there, you know, even um, the outside vent, you know, you got to know when to take the window, when not to take the window. You know what I mean? So it makes you think and um, it makes you use that muscle that's called a called brain. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I like that about it. You know, that was one of the good things. It makes you, you know, open, you don't have the other person say, well, what do I do? <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to do, you know, you got to think. Um, and the tools are, are, are great. You know, I love like forcing doors. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's awesome. And I love just getting in there, going in, going in the window and, and searching and, you know, what I mean, it's, I don't know. It's just a great, great feeling being able to know that you as an individual did your job or you got exactly where you were supposed to be. Even though sometimes it was tough and it was a task, but you, um, and I'm speaking for me. Um, I knew if I had the roof, I had to get that roof. I, I, I didn't give myself and I didn't have no excuse why I didn't get my job done. Yeah. You know,
0: yeah and i found that with um quite a few of the people i had on the show you know a lot of people have team sport backgrounds and there's a lot that were wrestlers or you know martial artists boxers whatever they did and i find the you know both of those together is the best kind of combination for the fire service because in a team sport there is an element of you could kind of be a bit of a sandbagger and get away with not pulling your weight whereas on the fire service even though you're part of a team just like you said you have to have the ownership because you might be on an assignment. You might be the one searching for the kid. And if you drop the ball, that child dies. So I think there's, there's so much power between the teamwork and the individual ownership in our profession.
1: Well, you know automatically that you're a member of a team. And even, like I said, even though you're on your own, the outside vent, right, the OVM, the OVN, when, when you're outside, you're still part of a team. That's why I mentioned about you got to know when to take that window and not. Now you have your radio handy talky and you're listening to them forcing the door. You're listening to the roof guy, whether he got the roof or not. So it's all the coordination. So you're still part of a team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, completely. Yeah. And and I think that yeah. to me when when you said when to take the window and not to take the window, I think the more the more time you spend on the job, the more that's what you identify, that's what you recognize. It's not so much the skill of forcing a door, taking a window, cutting a hole it's like you said, being able to Look at a, an incident and knowing, okay, this time I, I don't need to open this door because it's going to have this sequence of events. So I think that's a very, th- very powerful thing that you said is knowing when not to do an action on the fire ground.
1: Well, uh, well, you know what it is. Once I guess once you get time on the job and everything, like you said, you pick up a lot of stuff. You know, you pick up from old timers. you you learn on your own. You know, um, and I I need to say this because I went to other countries and uh, I'll give you an example. Backdrafts are real, very real. But I went to other countries, I'm not even gonna say what countries, but they didn't do anything about backdrafts and um, they didn't really vent like the roof because of the... uh, I, what I gotta say the because of the buildings you know a lot of the glass and everything was expensive you know and that and they didn't really but one country I went to and it's the truth five of their firemen died because of backdrafts and flashovers and it really hurted me because they were like 19. And 18 and 20 years old. Five, I'm talking about at the same fire. And we actually uh, went to their funeral, and it was in like, um, you know, five castes. They had it outside in the open space. Horrible. Wives like 19 and 20 and 18 years old, you know, because they didn't have the knowledge of backdraft and flashovers.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, you said about, about cutting, you know, ventilating as well. And that's what I found strange. I was trained in Florida um, and then went to the West Coast for a few years and worked on that truck company. And it was completely different. I had to learn a different way of throwing ladders, totally versed in, you know, building construction and vertical ventilation. I had none of that in my academy in Florida. And so I saw it work incredibly well. Like you said, when it was coordinated with with the crews that were inside and you knew when to cut and, more importantly, when not to cut – Um, But then when I went back to the East Coast, when my family moved back, I got a lot of people saying, oh, you know, it's irresponsible. You should never be on the roof. It's too dangerous. And I found that crazy because I'd seen it. But it took good training, good education, good understanding of building construction and, you know, coordination between those crews to make sure you did it safely. But even in our own country, there are departments that poo-poo Vertical ventilation, for example, which I think is very, very dangerous when you're talking about things, as you just mentioned, flashover and backdrafts.
1: Well, well, that's why, um, you know, you'll see guys go around the country, you know, just say guys from New York or something like that. And I understand now more so since I moved to West Virginia that the knowledge that you have And I mentioned this before, that if you don't pass it on, it's useless. And, um, you know, I went to a couple of places and I see them operate a training. And it's hard for me not to say anything. And normally I try to hold back, but it's hard, very hard. But if I see something dangerous or somebody's going to get hurt, I don't waste no time, you know. I'll stop them right there. I don't waste time, you know. Um, but I'll, I'll kind of interject um, when they're doing training. But, you know, I, 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 I'll say, like, you know, if I see them tying knots or, or ropes or something, I said, oh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of ways to do that, you know, like that. I'll try to, you know, do it, like, softly, you know what I mean? And I said, well, I learned like one or two ways. And then, you know, you tie, they let you tie and say, oh, that looks easier, you know, and then they may grab it. Because, and I said, you know what? I said, it's like tying your shoes. You know, there's so many different ways to tie your shoes, but you come up with the same results. You know what I mean? And, and that's how I kind of interject. I don't want to go in there, um, you know, because uh, people get very negative about you. You know, because you you you're a lot more knowledgeable. You know what I mean. And uh, as soon as you say you're from New York, forget it. And and I said, through 35 years, I was in rescue one. And you know what I mean. It's it's you know some people just uh, well we always did it like this, and you know they don't want to change. You know, and I I, I just let them know. That I just said this morning one way to skin a cat. You know what I mean. You don't have to skin it my way, but. There's more than one way. Yeah, just sucks know. for the cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's but I try to do it softly. You know, what I mean, if I can, I'm I'm pretty tough with the stuff, but I try to do it softly, and which is hard, especially if I see something that uh, I could see we did it easier, or there's an easier way to do it, like a rescue, rescue a fireman. You know, I'll I'll interject, but I'll, like I said, I try to do it softly, you know, but you got some guys, I call them knuckleheads and I have to, uh, you know, (laughs) I have to be, I have to be me. <laughs> yeah. Well
0: that's the worst the the biggest enemy for progress I think is uh we've always done it that way. You know I mean that's that's an absence of humility. Like if you come I'm going to ask you this in a sec but you know you've been around the world and this is one of the reasons why my guests are from around the world because you know despite the fact that you know there's a lot of uh a lot of people that stand on tops of towers and shout how America's the greatest country in the world. I hate to tell you there's some other great countries out there too that are doing things really well and we can learn from each other. So yeah, the way we've always done it is, is the, it, to me is, is the mating call of the ignorant.
1: Well, that's why I think, um, my opinion, that's why I think, uh, New York city fire department is, is really good because guys come in and They have other ways to do things. They show you. And if it works and if it's easier, you know, they'll accept that stuff. You know what I mean? It's hard. You know, some guy, oh, blah, blah, blah. But they'll take a look at it. Like, you know, altering tools and making tools that fit the neighborhood that you work in. You know, guys um, in Rescue 1, um. You had guys that used to make tools and you know manufacture stuff, and they used to bring it to rescue one, you know, and say, you know, what do you think, uh, you know, blah blah blah. And I had so many laughs with that stuff. I'm not kidding you. One guy came in; he had a, a thermal imaging camera. He goes, "Yeah, this camera is great, blah blah blah." Da, da, da. And the captain goes, "Have you ever dropped this camera, like?" From twenty-five feet or something like that, and the guy goes, "No, but it'll withstand." So the captain just took it and put it over his head and threw it on the ground, and it smashed and fell apart. You know, and I go like, uh. <laughs> then the captain said, "You know, he apologized the whole nine yards." So I was saying to myself, um, "Back to the drawing board." <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's other incidents that we had a lot. You know, a lot of things where guys bring stuff in, which is okay. You know, but the captains, uh, you know, they're so good and the guys are so good. They're going to say, well, did you try this? One guy came in with this fancy thing. You drop it down into just say if you got a big boulder, you drill a hole in the boulder, you drop it in the boulder and it. Uh, you press the switch and it opens up and you're able to pick the boulder up with a you know a crane or something. And um, the captain goes, have you ever side loaded this thing? And the guy goes, no. He said, you mind if I sideload it? He put it in the vice, and the thing bent. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and I used to just watch guys come in there, you know, um, you know, trying their <laughs> experiments and stuff, you know, not expecting, you know, those results. You know, and I, I just, you know, almost all through my whole career, I just watched that happen a lot.
0: Yeah, we see, and that's that you plan know? B thinking again. Your, you know, your minds are designed where... What if it fails you know and obviously you want to test tools before you ever put them on the rig um but it's the same with you know with the fireground stuff you know you've you know, I, that's the kind of minds in that firehouse I'm assuming that already had a plan B and C in place if that tool that plan that you know fire escape whatever it was failed and you had to find another way around
1: yes um the guys were very good at that stuff, but well you know guys um you know they they altered they you know, guys are machinists. You know, so you know they know they know their stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, you had guys. Well, the captain, last captain, um, he was a steam fitter before he became a firefighter. You know what I mean? So, so uh, very knowledgeable. You know, uh, these guys. Uh, you know, the department. I say was knowledgeable. The reason I say that because. If you remember, guys that um, come into the rescues and the squads, you know, and the boats and the hazmat is guys that come from the field, you know, other companies. So this knowledge is all around the job already. You know what I mean? They just bring it into you know one area, which is the rescues, the squads, and the uh, and the boats, and you know the hazmat. You know, so so the the knowledge is there. You know, it ain't like they came on the job and went right to a rescue. <laughs> you know, they came from other companies. They weren't their way yeah. up.
0: So you mentioned about the the brownstones. So what about um, physically going from you know five ish story buildings to all of a sudden being surrounded by skyscrapers?
1: Ah, uh, <laughs> it what well. One thing that was pretty good was uh, I was used to walking up uh, six stories without an elevator. <laughs> and plus, you know, it's according to the fire, you know, where it is in the situation, you didn't use elevators anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, uh, you know, uh, they call the elevators heat sensors. It'll go right up to the fire floor and open the doors. And it has happened to people, you know, it happened to more civilians anything because that's the first thing they do is jump on the elevator you know so it happens you know but um very different very different because now you're talking about office buildings, office space, cubicles you know now you're talking about 20 stories not, not six <laughs> you know what I mean it's going to where the fire is but I have walked up 20 stories before you know and, and that's why after a while I said, uh, I always said, you'll never have a problem with me being a burden for anybody, because when I can't do this job, I'm done. You know what I mean? And and, and that's how I felt uh, when I retired, or was thinking about retiring, I was saying, you know what, <laughs> I was already 62 already, still on the back step, and I could have did three more years, which would have been 65, you know. But I said, you know what? I said, this stuff is getting heavy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I said, the stuff is starting to feel heavy and it never felt heavy before. <laughs> you know what I
0: mean? So with that, so I, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just, just so that's a, an amazing point that you've underlined. So you were 62 years old as a firefighter, still able to do the job. And that's something that I try and, you know, try and talk about a lot. So my last apartment, the physical fitness, sta- there was no physical fitness standard and there was a 28-story hotel next to our station. So I would go down there, you know, and, and take people and we'd throw on a full high-rise trip, you know, not just the BA, but, you know, the extra hose and two air bottles and tools, nothing over and above what you would take to a fire, but nothing less than you would take to a fire. And that was my thing. I was only... um 44 then um so not you know anywhere close to where you were when you were still functioning but that was my philosophy was i need to be able to climb whatever buildings are in my first due or second due and you know a lot of the people in that department like oh well the, the the elevators work yeah but they do today but they didn't in grenfell they didn't in the world trade they didn't in oklahoma all these places where we have these large incidents you need to be able to, to climb to the top. So what's your philosophy on on when you hear firefighters say that they don't need to have the fitness to be able to make
1: that ascent? Well, that definitely is not true. You know what I mean it's it's like anything. It's like uh your basketball player, your baseball player, football player, wrestler. You gotta be uh, you know, in some kind of physical shape. You know, um, you don't have to be in the best, you know, but you have to be in some kind of shape. You know, you're running. You go from, you know, and I always think about this. You go from zero to a thousand in less than a minute. <laughs> you know what I mean? So your heart rate is at a resting rate. And then within one minute, it, it's at a thousand. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's it's at the top rate it can get. And now, that was one thing I said. When you get up there, the six stories or the 20 stories or the 16, 15 stories, when you get up there, now you have to work. (laughs) You know what I mean? So you got to have some kind of, you know, you got to be in some kind of shape. You know what I mean? If it's just a good heart. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) You know. And um, I I think um, good breathing is important. Especially you, um, you know, when you're in a fire and you have your face piece on and your mask is going, you're pumping, breathing hard, you know what I mean? Uh, okay, you take a thirty thirty minute cylinder, what are you gonna breathe it out in fifteen minutes? You know what I mean? <laughs> or you know, so you gotta think about that. You know, so what I I learned is I started Catching myself because I, I was just like everybody else. I'll go and I'm at, I'm at a, a hundred miles an hour and I'm breathing heavy, heavy, heavy. And I, I catch myself. I go okay, uh, you know me. You got to calm down, you know, so I could adjust my breathing a little bit better, you know. And and you try that so your your cylinder could last a little bit longer because high rise. Think about uh, like you said Manhattan. You may Macy's or one of these stores, big stores, you make it way in there and you definitely don't want your bottle to run out. You know, I mean, you get all the way in there and we lost the guy in Macy's, you know, years ago. You know, I mean, because if you get in there, you get turned around, you know, all you're running into is, um, you know, clothing racks and all kinds of stuff. Office, you know, you can easily get lost, you know. And um, speaking of that, like I was saying one time before that I started learning to carry everything that I think I needed. They were heavy, but, you know, I, um, that's where your search rope come in to play, you know. So there's, there's, there's things that you use that will help you, especially in Manhattan, you know what I mean, especially in Manhattan in, in those buildings you know, commercial buildings—they're tremendous. Macy's is tremendous, you know. And um, it, it reminds me because when I was in um, in '104, we was right near the Brooklyn Navy Yard. So I remember us um, going on ships, you know, and just going on a ship to see how you know everything run, and it, it was crazy, crazy. You get a fire on a ship. Oh my God. I used to go up. I mean, go down to go up and and I walked down. I When I we got down there, there was a guy in the brig, right? You know what that is, right? That's the jail. For people that don't know, that's a jail on the ship, right? Um, there was a guy in there. So I'm looking at it and I'm trying to figure out, How this guy, you know, how he get out. It was electronic. Right. So I didn't see no latches. I didn't see no door knobs. I didn't see anything. So I asked the guy that was gone in there. I said, how would you get him out here in case of a fire? Know what he said? I almost had a heart attack. He said, well, I'm just here for the day. I don't really know how to open this. I almost had a heart attack. (laughs) I go like, holy smoke. Holy smoke. So this guy is done. Holy smoke. And and you want to talk about a horrible fire. Oof. Think about it. Everything's metal. Steps, everything. So now once they all get heated up, everything is hot. Smoke ain't going anywhere. You know, and I, I actually... You know, after that, I think I got into, got into rescue one and we did shipboard firefighting training. You know what I mean? So I learned a lot of do's and don'ts, you know. Oh, those, the hell of a fires.
0: Well, they had oh. that one in San Diego. Um, actually one of my friends that I have on the show, Ben, I think it was Ben, um, actually called me and told me like, you know, some of the, the things that they, Had to deal with, you know, and and like you said, the heat, um, the disorientation. I think some of the crews almost got trapped in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's an absolute basically just a giant steel coffin.
1: And so, imagine what you need for a search rope,
0: you know what I mean? Yeah, so you wouldn't have anything long enough.
1: (laughs) Well, you we had the life saving rope, you know, 100 foot, but you know, how many of those do you need exactly? And, um, I was in New Orleans, you know, during the Katrina. So we actually went there. Fought fires there too. A lot of fires, a lot of fires during that time, and um, they fought fires totally different from us. You know, um, you know, they put up ladders. We went upstairs. You know what I mean? We went up the steps. So by the time they got in the window on their ladders, we were in the building. But it's like anything else, you know, different type of firefighting, you know, different countries, different states, you know, you're going to find different stuff. You know, um, we fight fires pretty much the same everywhere we go. You know, no matter what borough, no matter what um rich, poor, and I, I speak for myself mainly, is that no matter what where I go, rich, poor I fight by the same way. You know because um it's crazy that the thinking of some people, you know, um you know, you go into a rich house. Oh. Or don't break that stained glass. (laughs) You know what I mean? But knowing that this person have insurance or money or whatever, you know, to cover this. But you go to a poor neighborhood and you break the stained glass. These people don't have the money or whatever, you know, to replace this stuff. Hopefully they have insurance. But, you know, chances are.
0: Yeah. We just don't break it if it doesn't need to be broken. I mean, that's the thing. You well, just consider it for people's stuff, full stop. But if you need to break it to put the fire out, then
1: it needs to be broken. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Yes. If it needs to be taken, you take it, you know. But that's why I say I fight fires no matter where I go, the same way. Yeah, you know, It's going to the building construction naturally, you know. But um, it's it's strange when you go to other countries And you see stuff done. They, you know, they even commented on some of the, you know, the way we we were fighting fires, you know. And uh, we said, this is how we fight fires. You know, uh, uh, some companies, I mean, some countries, they don't know. I don't think they even investigate, like, um, you know, common cockloves that fire, you know, because we went next door. We went next door to an, uh, another room in one of the buildings in New Orleans, and we put a hole. And they go, "Well, ain't no fire in this room. Why are you putting a hole in here?" We go, "Wait a minute, it's a common roof here, a common ceiling. Fire travel all. We put a hole to see did it get by us already? You know what I mean? And but that's not the way they did things there. You know, um, and it's everywhere. and, and I understand." You know, I, I understand. You know, I, uh, basically, I say I understand because I come from New York. And uh, the thing is, <laughs> we fight fires, lots of them. You know what I mean? And you learn as you go, you know. And um, I think a big thing is, too, I think you should have a clue of building construction. You know, so you'll have some type of idea of what you're dealing with in the neighborhood that you're in. You know, and that's a big thing. Know your neighborhood. You know, just don't anywhere. I mean, I'm in West Virginia. You know, um, I had, as a matter of fact, I had recently, I had uh, left something on the store and the burned the alarm went off and the fire department pulled up, you know, and they walked up. And I said, I just, you know, burn my pancakes or something like that. You know what I mean? They go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Go, you're a fireman? I go, no, I'm retired because my daughter bought me one of those flags that you put outside, you know what I mean, on the garden. Yeah, so she bought me one of those uh, those flags. You know, I said, you're a fireman? I said, you yeah, retired, you know, from New York. Oh, okay, blah, blah, blah. So we talked to him, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you know, so. But it's good. I um, I love helping people. Far as you know, learning or teaching them something, you know, that I have, I have or I learned from somebody. You know, I spent a long time in the fire department. I um, I should know something by now. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> you know the thing. I, mean? I think
0: thirty-five <laughs> years and ending in rescue one, in you know FDNY. I mean, that's a, you know. If we can't learn from you, we can't learn from anyone.
1: <laughs> well, I learned from them. I learned from a lot of guys, you know, a lot of guys in the department, a lot of guys. And I'm still learning, you know, I'm still learning because, you know, what my thing is because I'm open to learn. I don't know everything like some people, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> What's
0: well, that humility we talked about before? Right. Well, I'd love to transition to 9-11 because I know it's obviously, you know, a very, very tragic, powerful day for you personally. I know there was a very, you know, um, significant staffing change that affected your, you know, day. Um, So if you wouldn't mind, can you walk me through what that awful tragedy was through your eyes?
1: Uh, Oh, that was one of the worst days in my life. You know, um, it's, it, it it was just this craziness that, um, well, when I came to the firehouse, I saw one of the, uh, uh, this guy was a lieutenant. He used to be a firefighter in Rescue 1. Really nice man. And And he says to me, he goes, I thought, I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead at the trade center. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, well, I made the list of the guys I was working and your name was on that list. I said, yeah. I said, but I was on a mutual like that. He goes, oh my God. Oh, thank God. You know, and. You know, we went through all of that and um, that like stayed with me, you know, and it's still with me. You know, uh, I actually swapped tours with a guy, which I pretty much worked my straight tours, but he needed something a day off. Um, so I, I actually told him, I said, you know, I'm doing this not for you, for your family because I didn't really, I did mutuals to help guys out. and I, did, I didn't do steady 24s, you know? So um, I, I actually uh, worked for him and I remember it so well. The reason I had him work for me that day because it was election primary day and I was actually doing the polls. So that's why I had him work for me that day, so I could do the polls. And that's what I was doing. And I was doing the polls in, in Canarsie, Brooklyn. So when I was doing the polls, you know, they knew I was a fireman and stuff. And, um, somebody came in and says, a, a plane just hit the world trade center. So I thought they were breaking my chops cause they knew, you know, where I worked and everything. I thought they were, I said, get out of here. You know, they go, no, really. And I went outside and you can actually see from Brooklyn the smoke and everything in the air. So, and I'm kind of getting the chills a little bit, you know, talking this. Um, I just grabbed my jacket and I just started running. I'm getting weak. Um, I'm running. I ran to the train. I jumped on the train, then I, um, the train stopped and I got off the train and I uh, went up off the platform up, up to the street and it was all chaos there. And this was in Brooklyn. So I wound up getting on a bus, going far as I can. And I got to the tip of the Brooklyn Bridge And I'm uh, getting ready to run over the bridge. And um, uh, a fire truck came by and they saw me and they knew me. They said, ow, ow, like that. You know, I said, yeah, I said, you going up? Yeah, so I got over. It was a guy I had worked with like years ago, he became a chief. And um, so I got over the bridge got into Manhattan. And um, when I got over there, I had no gear, I had nothing. Um, So I went to the nearest firehouse right across the street from the trade center. And I started looking around. You know, everybody, a lot of people had already took stuff. And so I was looking around for like boots and, you know, whatever, helmets. I couldn't find anything. So and the boots was there. Now I'm gonna laugh. The boots was there. They were. Like, I said. I said. What do you got? Little little kids here. <laughs> you know. I wear like eleven and a half, twelve, and nothing fit. You know. So I kept trying stuff, and then I wind up. But there was a, con- a pair of construction boots, and I went over and I put them on, and they fit. So now I'm running around trying to get jackets and you know uh, turnout gear, helmets. So. <laughs> This is funny. And um, I couldn't find a helmet. So I looked over there and I go like, what's that? It was a helmet, but it was a, uh, what do you call it? A, a, A military tank helmet. Really? Yes. That somebody had in the firehouse and I took it off the top of the locker and I put it on and it fit. So there I went to the trade center so now we get there, you know, we're doing all kind of searching and I, now I have a radio. I got a radio and I'm calling, you know, for the guys, you know, um, I said like, you know, Al Benjamin, Al Benjamin to rescue one. You know, I was trying to call the guys cause I know they were there. So I kept calling, calling, calling. And somebody responded and I said, Oh, thank God. But, it was another guy that was there just like me that responded to me. And, you know, it wasn't guys from the unit that was, you know, working that day. So now we got together and, you know, most of the rescues started teaming up together. And, you know, we it, the chiefs, you know, just started grabbing us and telling us, you know, I need you to search here. I need you to search here. They were putting us in spots where they didn't want to send anybody else. Cause they figured that, you know, we had more training more experience of doing that stuff. You know, I remember going down in the subway, you know, searching, you know, for, you know, people in the whole nine yards. I remember going down holes. I remember going almost in tunnels, you know, wherever, you know, they pretty much direct us to, you know, so we just, uh, basically search, we team up with, uh, We teamed up with some guys from Rescue 2. They teamed up with their guys, we teamed up with our guys, and we just search and search and search, you know, the best we can. I actually stayed in there 14 days, never coming out. I didn't even come out for 14 days searching, you know, and looking for guys, looking for, you know, people. And it was really crazy, crazy. The things we found was just so horrible. I, you know, I seen death before, but this was unreal, unreal. You know, so many people, you know, uh, dismantled, and uh, we saw a lady. I saw a lady. I thought it was a mannequin, and it was a real person, you know, uh, that type of stuff. It was, you know, unreal. Unreal, unreal um, just every day uh, we wound up um, there was a restaurant there I forgot the name of that never closed that you know you know fed us. Uh, we slept on the uh, uh they had some cards some people didn't have cards, some people we just slept on blankets on the floor uh, they had a gym there because there was a school there. So that's where we stayed, you know, um, hour after hour, you know, all night, uh, just on and on, maybe getting very minimum sleep, you know. And it hurted me real bad because I was in there for 10 days. Now you got, uh, they come in with the military, they come in with cops and, you know, the whole nine yards, you know, um, blocking off so people won't come in. So I go out. I don't really really remember for what reason. And I come back and they wouldn't let me back in. They stopped me there. I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, I was here before you got here. What are you doing? So um, a guy I knew, uh, a chief, he came over. He goes, ow, what the hell is going on? And I explained to him. And he says, you got to be kidding me, you know, like that. He goes, who's in charge here? So he went to the guy in charge, you know, told him all kinds of stuff. And he says, okay. He says, all right, let him in. So he let me in. They gave me like five IDs now. (laughs) You know what I mean? I got all this. I I still got the ID today. They got all ID. I'm hanging around my neck and I'm walking around like, uh, like Moses or somebody now, you know, meanwhile, you, 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 you know, you wouldn't let me back in here, and I was here, you know, before you even existed here, you know, and I was really pissed off about that. You know, I mean, it was it was really hard when I explained to, um, you know, a lot of guys out there. They go, "Who? Where? You know, they want to go." You know, like, go <laughs> up some ass. <laughs> you know, talk to these guys and say, "What the hell you think you're doing?" But I said, "No, I said it's okay." You know what I mean? Uh, so I got back in there, and like I said, I I haven't I didn't go home for 14, 15 days. Didn't even come out. You know, so um searching, searching and you know, every day it was something different, you know, we finding, you know, guys and uh, uh very horrible. And then um we climbed up uh, uh, we climbed up and pretty much they were putting us as rescue squads and that type of stuff in you know, more, uh I want to say, hairy spots, you know, because, you know, I guess because I training and everything. So, you know, I got to go places that some firemen didn't get to go, you know. Which as, as a team, you know, as a team with the guys and we just – did the best we could. Um, you're talking about getting weary and tired, and but mentally, you wouldn't let it happen, you know. You wanted to find your people, you know, and we did. We found the you know guys and stuff, you know, and you know, respectfully, you know, you prayed, and you know, and but I think it, um, it was okay, we not say okay, because you got some closure on some people's families. You know what I mean? And I think that means I I know it means an awful lot than not finding a loved one at all. You know, you get to have a funeral. Um, I remember they had like I call it awake. Um before a funeral and why we were there guys actually searched and they found the guy. Yeah. So they was having it without the body. Yeah. Uh, horror show. So many horrible things and um, horrible situations. And, you know, and I, I, I'm, my story is just one of many, 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 you know, stories, guys. they all guys got plenty of stories. I, I did things and I saw things that I don't talk about. You know what I mean? And um, I think that's with a lot of us. We can talk about it to one another because we know and we were there. And we did it, you know, Um, but talking about it just out in the open to, you know, just regular civilians and all that. You know, even when I go speak and people ask me about it, I have a limit and I'll let them know things I don't talk about and things I don't say, you know, things I don't want to talk about. Not because it bothers me. It's just I just don't do it. You know. Um, it was, you know, we lost, let me just say this, um, a lot of people more civilian wise, they don't know this, that we lost at that time a lot or a majority of senior people in the New York City fire department. You know, from chiefs, you know, deputy chiefs, yes. You know, um, for some reason, those groups that I was in, there was a lot of senior guys, like all over the whole fire department. So a lot of senior guys. That's why when they talk about rebuilding the fire department, you lost a lot of history, lots of history. I know guys that's been around, and I know guys that, oh, awesome. You know, I I don't really want to use their names, you know, because of their sons or whatever, or their their family. You know, I don't have permission to use their names, and I don't want to do it, you know, without their permission. And I probably could, but that's just me. I don't want to do that. But anybody that was there, and they know me, they know exactly what I'm talking about as far as guys that we lost. Senior guys. Senior guys in the rescue. Senior guys in the whole department. Deputy chiefs. Chiefs. You know what I mean? Oh. Really lost some history in that place. You know. Lost. Oh, um, But, you know... Like anything else, you have to um you know, deal with it. You know, we dealt with what we had. And um you know, you still have to go on. You know, and that's what really happened to fire upon me. It was a lot of chaos. A lot of guys and this is just my opinion, a lot of guys um got kind of forced in positions and you know, they all weren't ready for it. You know what I mean? You know, when you get a young guy, you know, and uh, all of a sudden now you're in charge of personnel, and this is just an example, you're in charge of personnel and you go like, wait a minute, I just got promoted like last year or something. You know what I mean? Uh, Because of the, you know, the people you lost that had to be, these spots had to be replaced. You know, so, and like I said, this is my opinion. Um, a lot of guys weren't ready, you know, to be in charge. You know, but you were forcing that position because of what happened.
0: And it's something people don't think about, but yeah, I mean, we think about the three-four-three three that were lost, but you don't think about that—that that experience void—and yeah, all those positions that needed to be filled, and obviously, it wasn't going to be the new hires filling them, so everyone else had to to rise up.
1: Yeah, but. <laughs> I'm laughing because uh, I don't know so many guys we lost. I don't know about somebody rising up to them. You know, like I said, I don't want to say names because uh, there's a guy um, and people that know they'll know who I'm talking about without using a name. He has uh, two sons on the job. One's a deputy chief, and one's a chief. And um, (laughs) when I say this, uh, the whole uh, New York City Fire Department should know and people outside of New York uh, Fire Department should know. They called this chief guard because of his knowledge and his abilities and he actually started the squads and the rescues. So I don't, have to say his name yeah just that in itself tells who he is and um i don't know about replacing him (laughs) you know yeah what exactly oh there is people with a lot of knowledge you know i'm not taking taking that away from anybody that's in the job but they don't call you god for nothing they don't, you know, God, huh? <laughs> they don't call me God, i tell you that. They don't call me God. No, they call me God, but there's another end to it. <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn fool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, very knowledgeable, very knowledgeable. He saved a lot of lives at the Trade Center because of his knowledge. You know, building construction, and that's tough, you know. So he saved a lot of lives. Not, you know, he's not the only one. But God, like I said, they don't call you God for nothing.
0: Well, I want to, I want to just kind of interject for a second because this is a, a very powerful moment I think for a lot of people listening. You know, in our profession, we've really fought to get people to, um, to accept the fact that. The things that we do, the things that we see, the people we lose, has an impact on us spiritually, physically, and mentally and I know we had a little discussion the other day um you read one of the quotes in the book, which is from burn um I wish my head could f- could forget what my eyes have seen, and you know here you are now, twenty years later, completely choked up, you know, recounting the story, and why wouldn't you be? You know, but we have this facade that, you know, a fireman never cries and never you know, nothing nothing bothers us, which I think is complete rubbish. As you said, we have a job to do and we get on and do it, but if we don't acknowledge the fact that what we see and do affects us, then we end up pushing it down, and sadly some of our men and women then end up succumbing to addiction or even suicide.
1: Yeah, um you know, I I gotta say You know, stuff like that affects people differently, you know. And, you know, I think people forget (laughs) you're a firefighter, but you're still human. You know, Um, I think it's crazy when you think you can control your feelings. You know, Uh, I, 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 I I Remember, I told you I have my saying, the only control I have is out of control, so I don't try to control nothing. And that's where I think uh, a lot of people hurt themselves because you do what they call stuffing. You stuff that stuff. You know what I mean? You stuff it, but mentally it's there. So it becomes what they call a slush fund. And it explodes sooner or later or overflows sooner or later or a full plate. A full plate. As long as you're not taking anything off, that plate's going to get full and it's going to overrun. You know, so you have to do something. Uh, I think luckily in the fire department, you come back uh, from a fire, uh, you know, whether it was a death or whatever, and you can take the fire or what happened. Um, they find out that, that's a form of a way to release the stuff instead of like holding it within, you know, which helps. It helps a lot to talk about it. And that's what we do. You know, that's what we do. We talk about it. We just don't come back and let it stuff it in our heads, you know. But, um, and that's not everybody, you know, some people hold on, hold on to stuff. You know, but like you said, you know, and I was just thinking about that, that statement that you just said as I was talking to Trade Center. You know, I mean, that's why I told you, I said, I like that statement because I know what I know what my eyes seen, And I know, you know, what my mind, you know, and deal with. And it's some of that stuff never go away. You know, it just it just uh, it's just like uh, dormant. It's dormant, but there's just certain things that could bring it out. You know, even the trades that are certain. sometime I go places, and there's a smell that remind me of the place. You know what I mean? There's just certain things that'll take you back. Not only me, I believe uh, the average guy that was there. There's something that reminds you of it somewhere, you know, when you're not even thinking or, you know, you're just somewhere else and there's something that comes bang and brings you right back there. You know, Uh, yeah, it's, it. that's, those are things that'll never go away. You know what I mean? They'll never go away. They already might be dormant, but it's there, you know, what your eyes see, you know, your mind. You know, that's why I love that statement.
2: Yeah.
0: There's another one in there, I think it's one of the later chapters, and it the the quote is supposed to be a Mexican proverb from what I understand, but it says, uh, they tried to bury us, they didn't know that we were seeds. So exactly that. If you don't if you stuff it down, eventually something's gonna grow and you know, it will
1: it will manifest whether you like it or not. Right. And the problem is you don't know how it's gonna manifest. You know, it could manifest on your family, on your children, on your wife, you know, on you and, you know, you don't know, you know, how it's going to come out because, and, you know, I think it's got to deal with how long you stuffed and how much you stuffed and how serious the the things are that you stuffed. You know, that's where the slush fund come in. Sooner or later, it's got to overflow. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So something's got to give, you know, Uh, you know, it's, it was tough because, you know, we're macho, you know, you can't say we're not, you know, we're macho. So, you know, we, we don't cry, do we?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we're, know, we're told we're not supposed to cry, but the reality is we all do. And I think that's what's crazy is, is that we're told, we're told a story that's not even true. If we don't cry, then, you know, we're not really the compassionate humans that signed up to do the job in the first place.
1: But you're human.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You have feelings. Exactly. You can't control your feelings all the time. You know, something's going to come out. You know what I mean? I, you, know, like, you know, people fall in love. You know what I mean? And they go like, you know, I, I love her, you know, but she don't love me. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> but, you know, if, if somebody didn't love you, why do you love them? You know, because you can't control that feeling. Exactly. You know, and that's just an example, you know. Uh, and, you know, how many feelings we got, you know, eight, whatever, you know. Um it's, it's crazy, but you're human. You may, some people may not think they are, (laughs) you know what I mean? Some people, you know, think they're like a Superman or, you know, but you're not, I just want to say you're not, you know, it's okay to think it, but let's face reality. (laughs) You're human, just like me, you, (laughs) you know, we all have feelings, you know, and we got to we got to deal with them sometimes.
0: Absolutely. You know? And again that's that's what I love when someone like you comes on the show because when you talk about resume in the fire service obviously you are you know, at the peak and definitely you know if we're talking about masculinity or alpha whatever you you know kind of pigeonhole you want to put it in the navy seals the the rescue firefighters you know the SWAT um operators if those men and women can say that they're human and, and that things affect them, and sometimes they have to offload, I think it really calibrates the average person who believes in that facade that they're superheroes to take a step back and go, "No, I'm a human being doing a job that I absolutely love, but it comes at a cost." And you can mitigate the damage of this job absolutely by talking, by you know, all the other positive things. But if you believe the fairy tale that you're a superhero, it will it will destroy you.
1: No, it's, it's okay. Um, it's okay to be a tough guy. (laughs) You know what I mean? But you still got feelings like everybody else. I have no problem with somebody being a tough guy because you have tough guys. (laughs) You know what I mean? But me, I see tough guys too on the other side, you know, because it, you know, uh, doing the counseling and, and different things. You know, I see him not only in the fire service, I see him in the police department because I dealt with a whole, you know, a whole uh, lot of different people, like even Wall Street guys. I dealt with them too. And um, <laughs> their thinking is totally different from ours. <laughs> you know, what's important to them is their Rolex watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> See, so, so I, I, I dealt with a lot of different people. You know what I mean? Or a lot of different things. And um, <laughs> I'll say it again. It's okay to be a tough guy. But you have to face reality too. You know what I mean? No matter how tough. Because I know some tough guys. <laughs> Believe me. I know some tough guys, you know. Um, I used to laugh. There was one guy, young guy was in rescue and, um, strong, very respectful. I say he came in the job the way he's supposed to come in the job. You know what I mean? Um, and, um, I was holding the howl again one time and, you know, he was forcing the door and he was hitting it with the ax. I turned around to him. I said, please don't hit me. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> Because he would have killed me. This guy was taking <laughs> swings like boom, boom. I go like, oh my god! This and he's powerful. He had like, uh, not like Hercules, but he had like his his forearms were like monsters. You know what I mean? I ain't talking about muscle muscle. His forearms were powerful. And I and I looked at him. He would hit the the door, the gate. Like I I would say the building was shaking. I go. Please don't get me. <laughs> we would laugh, you know what I mean. <laughs> but so there, there is tough guys around. You know what I mean. I work with a lot of them. I, I'm not gonna say their name, but I I work with a lot of them. Not only in my company, in other companies too. You know, but it's okay to be a tough guy. But we are human. Absolutely. You know? And tough guys have feelings too. <laughs> that yeah. should be a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I said, that should
0: be a T-shirt. Tough guys have feelings too.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I I have some ideas for a T-shirt. I'm gonna have it made up. You you're gonna wind up seeing it out there.
0: But Let know. me know. I'll, I'll I'll share it when you have it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I that's not that, but I I have some ideas that I got. to Get this artist to draw it up for me. You know. I probably would have had them out already, but, you know, this virus is messing up everybody's lives. It certainly is. You know, I still I still talk to guys. I talk to, you know, guys retired in Florida. I talk to guys in New York. You know, we talk a lot, you know. We're still, Still connected, you know. It, it's okay because what I get from them, I can pass on to other people. And especially, especially in the South, I, I, there is a difference. They, um, you know, I know guys that used to teach around. They used to tell me stuff. I go like, ah, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now I, I see reality. It's just the firefighting is like totally different. You know, the building construction, you know. But guys, one thing I could say, you, they're open to learn. I just called a guy. I called the guy last night and he was working. I'm talking about in uh, Maryland and uh, I had stopped to the firehouse and I talked to the guys, you know, I joked around and messed with the guys and, you know, a little reality check here and here. And, um, he said, Oh my God, we were just talking about you and you call me. I go, I heard you talking. about it. That's why I called you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, um, I kind of try to leave an impression, you know, if I can, you know, even if uh, one guy learned something or one guy listened and, you know, I try not to leave anything negative. You know, it's it's kind of hard for me to be a negative person anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have to work at that. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I, I I call it, I could spank you, <laughs> you know what I mean, if I have to. You know, I mean, <laughs> but I'd rather bring you back to like a reality check. That's what I call it. You know, um, officers too. You know, I find out that uh, a lot of companies, they're slow and uh, they're not doing much or volunteer. And I let the officer know you're still a leader of men. One fire, somebody could get hurt or lose their life. So you do need to do some training, you know I mean? Some kind of training, you know, if it's just basics, you know, so. Beautiful. That's what, I, I say it a little different than what I'm saying to you though. <laughs> you, know <what> I
0: mean? <laughs> you can say it the way you
1: actually say it if you want.
0: There's no limits on the Well, to this you show. know what it is.
1: <laughs> when it gets, um, when it gets serious and, and stuff that, you know, people may get hurt or something like that, I, I give it to you raw, you know, I, I give it raw because I, I find out people pay more attention when you uh, say, if you want them to do something and you curse, they pay more attention. They go, "You cursed at me, but they heard you. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what's important, you know, and to me, you know, and I, I kind of, I don't want to use the the curse word, but I kind of manipulated things, you know, in the job too far as, uh, you know, you're working with a company that's slow and don't really have fires. You know, I kind of manipulated when I get to the door, I go, um, okay, okay, guys, let's go. They're not really moving. Their officer is there and they're not really moving. And I said, okay, guys, okay, guys. You know, I told one officer, he goes, they're not moving. They're not moving. I said, I said, Luke, could I get up there like that? I got up there. Okay, guys, you got it. Got it. You just got to make that turn. Let's go. Let's go. You get, they didn't have shit. <laughs> but you know what? They made that turn and put the fire out. Mm-hmm. So confidence and knowing somebody's there, like, that's what, you know, officer does. You know what I mean? You kind of coach them and push them. And, um, you know, after the fire, the, the officer comes and he goes, you really bullshitted them, huh? I okay, go, Lou, they put the fire out. That's what's important. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, but you know, it's, it's, that's all you need So sometimes, even myself when I started, you need a little coach, you know, you need a little push, you know what I mean? And you know, somebody's there in your corner, you know? So that helps a lot. And I found out even when, you know, no matter what job or where wear, if, Somebody um, um, want to try, but they're holding back and you're there. You say, well, I'm here with you. You know, they think, they go, okay, I got somebody with me. I'm okay. You know what I mean? So, so, so you need that. I, I, you need that in life. You, your kids need that for school. You know what I mean? Everything. You know, you need that little push. Say, yeah, you could do that. You know, yeah, I'm sure you could do it. And now you gave them a little more confidence than they, what they had, you know, so you can get people to, you know, do little things that they could do anyway, but they just need that little push, you know. And now I, I look at that in life in general. Love
0: it. Well, that reminds me of when you said your first ever shift, your first fire, you know, someone did that to you. They took took you under the wing and said, even though it was technically overhaul, you got to put the wet stuff on the red stuff and get rid of that fear of the unknown, which I think is what cripples most people.
1: Yeah. and, And that's where, between getting old and that's where you start at learning stuff. You know, you start paying attention to more things. You start, you know saying, oh, man, I didn't know, you know, that screwdriver worked like that. You know what I mean? He said, oh, I could use a screwdriver for more than one thing, more, more thing than just screwing a, a screw. You know, I could use it if the doorknob is missing, <laughs> in order door. yep. you know, to open a door. You know I mean? Yeah. You know, simple things that you never really thought about. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, just think, um, uh, just the average Joe working at home, He's not thinking about using a screwdriver if the doorknob falls off to open the door. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, you know, a screwdriver, useful screwdriver. And, you know, I I'd sit there and I I'd do things around the house and I use a screwdriver. I go, what the hell am I doing? I got a, a, a drill here. I just put a bit in. and <laughs> You know <what> I mean? <laughs> I said, "Why am I working so hard? I got <laughs> drill's here. Just put the bit in there, you knucklehead. You know what <laughs> I mean? But but you're so used to doing things with a screwdriver, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because you don't Physically. carry a drill in your pocket in the bunker. Yeah, yet. <laughs> yeah. Physically, you're used to doing things, you know. So I have, so I have them both now. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I have the the drill there with the bit, and I have the screwdriver, and I, I, I'm using them both. You know." And, and unless it gets a little tough, then I say, give me that drill. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know,
0: brilliant. Well, I want but- to I want to transition to one more the kind of closing area and then let you go because we've been chatting collectively now for three hours. I don't know if you realize, that. no, I'm, yeah, between the two together. So it's been amazing. But I think as we circle round to, like you said, re- transitioning out. So you mentioned about the tools feeling heavier. Like, tell me about your decision making to finally transition. Out of FDNY, and then what was like that? Excuse me, what was that like for you personally? Having spent your entire adult life pretty much as a firefighter.
1: Well, you definitely I I I, I tell people because they always ask me, you know, like, uh, what do you miss? I said I I miss the guys, you know. I mean, the camaraderie, you know. I missed a lot of that stuff. Because you know what it is? The fires, I did a lot. Um, There was a guy in a job in rescue and um, he was, got hurt and he had to retire. But he did light duty. So he stayed on the job doing light duty. And um, so I, I was talking to him And he says, yeah, I'm not ready to go yet. You know know what I said to him? Because he had a hell of a career, too. I said, you know what? I said, the things, the career you had and the things that you did, I don't think people in a job would ever even touch that. You know, I, I worked when we had two crane collapse. You know, we had the Trade Center. You know what I mean? Or we were down in New Orleans. You know, that's what I'm saying. The career he had. And I spoke to him about that. And he says, I never even thought about that. You know, I said, yeah. I said, me neither. But after a while, I started thinking about things. And like I said before, I always said, uh, told guys, I'll never be a burden to anybody. When it's time for me to go, I'm going. And when I started... The guys always said that. The old timers, they always said, you'll know when it's time to go. They always said that. And they still said, you'll know. And pretty much, you know, I didn't even think about that. But they're right. You know, they were right. I, um, like I said, I could have did three more years. I was 62. And uh, they don't force you out to 65. And, um, I said, you know what? Like I was saying, these things are get starting to get heavy. You know, the floors are going up, up the flights are starting to be like, really, I'm working to get up there. And I said, you know what? I could, uh, if I only had three years left in my life, I could spend my three years out there, you know, retire. Excuse me. It's not easy because like you said, you've been doing something so long. I call it a lifetime. I did 35 years. That's some people's lifetime, you know? And I thought about that myself. I said, that's um, half of my life I spent in that job. But there's a saying, there's a life after the fire department, (laughs) right? Um, I look at it like this. Um, when you get out or decide to leave, you have to have to have something to do or outlet of your life. I tell guys, cause they guys call me say, well, how was it time?" And I said, as long as you got something to do in your life, when you get out, be it family, be it work, you know, whatever, be it another job, you know, be it, uh, working around the house, you know, uh, traveling, whatever, as long as you got an out, you're okay. But if you get out there and you have nothing, it's a problem. You know, it's a problem for you, you know? And I talked to guys and I seen it, you know, I seen it before I retired, you know, um, and that's what I tell guys, you know, when they ask me, I say, as long as you got something to do, whatever it is, be it your family, build building a barn, you know, or whatever. As long as you got an out and not sit home, watch TV or anything like that, because I call us, we are doers. We got to do things, you know, and um you find out that. When I first got out, I didn't do anything for a few years. That's why I could talk like that. And I got sick, you know, um, overweight, high blood pressure, all of that stuff came down on me. And um, until I came down here, uh, West Virginia, I, you know, I started going to the doctor and she said, well, this it is. I said, well, you know what? Um, borderline diabetic. So I go. Um, I go to my A1C. You know what that is, right? Yes, sir. My A1C is 14. 14. And A1C is supposed to be seven or below. So. I, when I went to the doctor, I asked her I'd go, well, you know, I, I, I was doing insulin too. So I asked her, I said, I don't want to do insulin. Right. So what could I do? She says, the first thing you could do, uh, you need to lose weight. Right. And go on a diet. I said, well, I don't do diet. I said, I, I call it, a change of way of eating. I said, because once I, this is me, I said, once I hear that word diet, I know I'm going to fail.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's very so true for a lot a, of people.
1: So I call it a change of way of eating. So that's what I did. I changed. I lost almost 60 pounds. I um, I six months later, or maybe a little longer, I went back to her. Right. She goes, she thought I had cancer. <laughs> she said, we got to check you for cancer. How did you do? This, lose all this weight? You lost all this weight? I go, no. I go, I already had tests from the uh, World Trade Center Medical for cancer. I went to um, Sloan Kettering and I had tests. I, I don't have cancer. Right. She goes, what the hell did you do? Just like that. I go, well, I asked you, you know, what. It helped me, and I just changed my total eating. Totally. You know, I said, I did away with meats. I did away with carbs. I said, I did away. I did vegetables and, you know, stir fried, and, you know, I got a walk, and I did all of this stuff, right? So she checked my a- uh, A1C. You know what it was? Six and a half.
0: I'm so glad you told that story, too, because so many people think that diabetes
1: is irreversible. Oh no. Six and a half, Uh, no insulin at all. Amazing. You know, she goes, um, well, if I go above a certain number to take the insulin, it's been over a year now, you know, I haven't, I I tell people, (laughs) I say, (laughs) the the only thing I take right now, Is vitamins. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I do that because I'm old. <laughs> you know what I mean? My, my World Trade Center doctor, a wonderful lady, wonderful. Every time I talk to her, she said, you take your vitamin D, right? You're taking your vitamin D. I go, yes, I am. <laughs> I say, yes, I am because of you. I take my vitamin D. Is your wife taking vitamin D too? I go, yes. You know, she was taking it before me. <laughs> you know, so... um. Speaking of, that's why I'm saying you got to, we're doers and you got to keep doing because I'm a perfect example. You know, I'm talking from experience. I, I slowed down, I stopped, I put on weight, high blood pressure. No, they wanted to put me on high blood pressure medication. I told them, no, what do I need to do? You know, and whatever I need to do, I did it. No, I, I just went the other day. And no high blood pressure, A1C, still six and a half, is and I'm okay. So I I told her, (laughs) I said, yeah, I gained some weight like that. She goes, about damn time. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was the weight when I got on the job. I I weighed 143 pounds when I got on the job. I'm I'm, uh, almost six feet. And she goes, uh, I, I, "I, you're too tall to be that weight you were. She says, I'm glad you gained weight. It's okay. You know what I mean? So uh, here I am. And I'm, you know, I gained weight, but I'm looking, I'm trying to watch it. You know what I mean? So I won't get back where I was. But I'm a lot more active now than I was then. And I, I don't even understand it because I'm a very active person. Now I'm like uh, the Energizer, Energizer Bunny you know in my daughter says i never see somebody retired that's always doing things you know what i mean i said that's just me you know well the but way it helps you ate. Me out a lot
0: yeah and the way the way that the foods that you change like you said not a diet but your your nutrition now i hear that from so many people when they clean it up and especially if they get rid of the processed carbs and the sugars you know and if they choose to go plant-based you know that's a choice you know to, to do it or not. But regardless, all those extra vegetables, all that processed stuff removed, it does. I mean, it it puts p- gives people the energy they should have at that age, instead of the energy that we think we're supposed to have at that age, which is, you know, oh, you're 62, you're supposed to be fat, you're supposed to have high blood pressure, which is just, again, we talked about fairy tales. That's another one that's completely wrong. So I'm so glad that A, you had that experience and B, that you shared it, because I think there's a lot of retirees that really do you know let themselves go and it's tragic because they work their whole career as a firefighter and then die a few years later you know obese and and sick
1: yeah um yeah i know a few guys i uh, you know a guy died not too long ago and i remember him asking me "Al, how is it how is it you know retirement and he was out here four years and he passed away i felt so bad you know I i said four years my god you know what I mean i I you know there's a saying that uh you know many years you put in is many years you want to collect your pension absolutely you know? yeah, uh hopefully, and you know when there's older i I call my i you uh, you'll hear me say it all the time, yeah, I'm old, but it's okay, <laughs> you know what I mean, it's okay, I say that for a reason because the other side of not getting old, you know what that is, mhm-. Yeah. So it's okay. Even when I, you know, I have pains or something like that. I say, it's okay because I'm here to feel the pain. You know, every day above ground is a good day. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's a saying. You know, it ain't mine, but it's the same.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's gratitude as well. But I mean, I don't know if we mentioned this in our previous conversation, um, but my grandmother's 103 and she's still right. kicking ass. <laughs> she really is. So, you know, that's the thing now, you know, 62, in her lifespan, you've only barely passed the halfway mark. So, you, right. know, you know, it's not old. The mind, It's all about mindset. So, yeah. But that's my goal.
1: <laughs> Your grandma's.
0: <laughs> yeah, mine too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know. No, it's, it's okay. I, you know, you're going to get old. It's okay. It's a part of life. You know, nobody wants it. You know what I mean? But it's one of those things you have control over. Yeah. You can control your health at the age. So deal with it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I look at things like, you know, when I have a pain, you know, there's people that have pain like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they're not complaining. You know what I mean? Because they're happy to be here, you know, with their family, you know? So I said, I said, ouch, and I move on. (laughs) You know, it ain't, and and this is a known saying that I use for myself too. Nobody ever said life was going to be easy. Amen to (laughs) that. Yeah. You know, so get to work.
0: <laughs> Brilliant! All right, well, that's the perfect place to end. So, I, I want to say thank you so much. It's been such an incredible conversation. I'd love to, you know, sit down with you face to face one day in the future when we're all able to to do that again. But you know, your story of of you know three and a half decades in the fire service, and obviously that very powerful. You know, a moment when you went back to, to September 11th, you know, just thank you. Thank you for, for leading us through and thank you what you've done, obviously in your position, but also being the role model as a senior man and the mentor. Cause I think a lot of us need to have that story told as well so that we can become better versions of ourselves too.
1: Well, well, I, I learned, like I said, I was, I, after I got out of jail, I didn't do anything, you know, um, you know, I talk to a lot of people, and they say you should do this, you should write a book, you should do this. Uh, Maybe one day. Um, I rather talk to people, you know, and um, when they ask, I rather for them to ask me questions because it's something that they want to know, you know. So I went a couple places, and you know, up here and there they would ask me about the tracer and this, this, this. So I actually went to one mayor um, in the South and I said, look, is there a place that we could, an auditorium or something, so I can actually answer some of the questions. And I let them know right out the door, there's some things I don't talk about. Um, So if you ask me a question, I'll let you know that I don't talk about these things. You know, and that's how I leave it. And if somebody asks me a question that I don't talk about or I don't answer, I'll let them know that, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that I'm one of many that was at the trade show.
0: Yeah. So I've had several on the show you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting hearing all the different perspectives. I just had the, the two French brothers that did the documentary that were filming the Proby when, when everything happened. And that was a very different, you know, lens because they, they weren't them. firefighters. So, um,
1: yeah, well, thank- I remember them. I, I I know pretty much the whole story. You know, where they where they would ride, who they were, the firehouse they were at at the time. Yeah, it was right there at the Trade Center.
0: Yeah, one was riding yeah. with Chief Pfeiffer, the other one was yeah.
1: with the Proby. still. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. I remember very well that story. I, I used to park at that firehouse all the time when I went to Manhattan. Yeah. We're good.
0: We're good. But just so, so again, thank you. Thank you so much for, for telling your story. And, um, I'm looking forward to shaking your hand, hopefully when all this stuff has died down.
1: Well, no, thank you because, um, I just say being the person that you are, because normally I would feel people out and I wouldn't do anything like this because they have an agenda or a motive. You know, and I don't see or hear that in you, you know. So that's why I'm able to talk to you, you know, the way I do and let go stuff. You know, um, it's it, it's a pleasure to meet somebody like down to earth that has a clue. That's what I call it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? how to do this because, you know, I talk to a lot of people and uh, their agendas or their motives don't fit mine, you know? And, and, you know, everybody I talk, to, I tell them, you know, I said, you know what? I go, yeah, yeah. Well, let me look him up and see who he is. And da, da, da. I go, it's okay. I go, I've been around a long time. I can feel people, you know, I can tell. You know, you, you you your face smiles all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, I, I call it a um, you're smiling without smiling. You know, <laughs> if you understand what I, I, I do, mean.
0: especially now when we're going to wear masks, <laughs> <Or you're, laughs> and you can see your eyes. So oh, yeah. I, I try and over smile oh. at the
1: moment. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're happy to smile. <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> yeah. But um, it was a pleasure. And uh, we'll keep it in touch. When I get my shirts done, I'll see. You know, matter of fact, I'm, when I finish with you, I'm going to call the guys. What are we doing? Where's my artist? You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: Brilliant. Yeah. And then, and then, when when you write the book, um, obviously we'll we'll make sure that we help with that too. But um, I mean, you have such an amazing story, and you know, no no pressure at all. But when when the timing is right, this is what happened to me. One day, it was literally like this is this is the moment. Um but yeah it was it was very very liberating as well, because once you put your story onto paper, even though mine's just kind of like little sound bites in my story it, there's the same as a firehouse table there's something very cathartic about getting it out of your brain and onto a onto a screen or a piece of
1: paper. I only have one problem with that <laughs> it's going to be an encyclopedia <laughs> <laughs> exactly mine's thin. <laughs>
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>